Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, Revoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Heavenly Father, we come again with bowed heads and humbled hearts and contrite spirits. Thanking you again, Lord, for another day not promised to us. Lord, I ask that you forgive us of our sins and our iniquities and our transgressions and shortcomings and those things, Lord, that place a veil between you and us. I'm grateful for this time here, Lord, that I get to fellowship with my brothers and sisters in Christ. I'm so grateful, Lord, that you have kept their minds in good health, Lord, in perfect peace. I'm asking, Lord, that you continue to do so, that things that may war against us spiritually, Lord, may not enter in that we wear our full armor, Lord, and we wore a good warfare, not just keeping ourselves protected, Lord, and, and cleaned and sanctified from the world, but helping others, Lord, in their fight also to be able to pursue you. Let us not be hearers of the word only, Lord, but doers. Let us follow and seek you, Lord, for all things, because there is nothing, Lord, that is outside of you. I'm asking, Lord, that you give us your wisdom, Lord, that you impart to those that you love, that you may trust us, Lord, that we may become more mature to do all that you call us to. Lord, make our paths plain that we may see things like you, that we may hear what you hear, that we may have an appetite and a nature of Jesus Christ, having Christ fully formed in us. Lord, I'm asking at this time that you bind every false spirit, every demonic spirit, every spirit of error, every spirit of contention, every spirit of confusion, jealousy, hatred, malice, Every spirit of unbelief, every antichrist spirit, let it be moved out, Lord, right now. Let it have no place here. Let deception not come within these doors. Let us not utter words, Lord, unless they come from you. And I'm asking that your Holy Ghost, Lord, falls mightily on us today. Let us get that nurturing, Lord. Let us have that understanding. Because this is no time to not know your God. For you said that them that know their God shall be strong and do exploits. And I'm asking, Lord, that we be able to be warriors, Lord, that we be able to be soldiers that are in your army, Lord, because you're either on one side or the other. So I'm asking that we not lose our faith. I'm asking that we stay strong, be steadfast, long-suffering, diligent to do your will. For you are the King of kings and Lord of lords. You are almighty God, faithful, just, and true, worthy to be praised. Lord, do it for your glory. Do it for your honor. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right, so today's study is going to be called The Weapons of Our Warfare Are Not Carnal. There were eight that we actually pulled out, that I pulled out, you know, the Lord had given me, that we're going to um, examine, have a close examination with. And these things will actually help us in our war and what we're dealing with. Knowing what to use to attack the enemy, because I know I always speak a lot about what the enemy is going to do. Well, we need to talk about how we can defeat the enemy. Okay, so uh, before we get going, though, we are going to have a couple of words. Uh, one from Chris Christina. She gives us our word for the day. And then we're going to have James come up, and he's going to present something. And then from there, we'll get right into the lesson. All right. You're on. Yeah. All right. So, for this week, it was pretty um, 
clear for me what I wanted to share with you guys today. Last weekend, I uh, struggled with a coach volleyball, and one of my girls, I talked to Derek about this, had, she's a freshman, had got arrested and um, for doing things she shouldn't be involved in. And I've gone over multiple times with the girls, you know, our policies and what they should and shouldn't be doing. But that made me, Derek's like, well, why don't you just minister to them? I was like, oh gosh, I kind of got fearful of that because like you're at your job talking about religion, Christ. And um, I'm like, in my mind, I thought I don't want to get fired. I love my job. I love coaching. But I came up to a conclusion like when I was doing practice of how can I minister to them in a way that's fully not putting all the emphasis on like religion, but more of like the values um, and teaching him the values of that, but still being able to be open with that I um, believe in this. And um, it actually worked out where I got to teach them about obedience and um, discipline and building a foundation and relating it to volleyball, but also relating it to life um, from a scripture that I've got from the Bible. So what I did is I read them scripture. It was Luke um, 6.49, but I want to read to you guys 6.48 and 6.49 together. So go to Luke chapter 6, uh, verse Verse 40. He is like a man which built a house and dig deep and laid the foundation on a rock. And when the flood arose, the stream beat vehemently upon that house and could not shake it, for it was founded upon a rock. So that part makes me think of um, Christians being rooted in Christ and the word of Christ and following him. When you are rooted in Christ and you cleanse um, and sanctify your whole body of sin, you become really strong in Christ and no flood or tribulation that comes to you can knock you down because you have worked um, that sin out of your life and you're strong and rooted and grounded in the Lord. Then this is what I read to my girls and what I, um, the verse 49, and then I broke it apart and I'm going to kind of share how I did that with them in a non-religious setting, but still was able to teach the values and minister to a young group of girls. But he that heareth and doeth not is like a man that without a foundation built a house upon the earth, against which the stream did beat vehemently, and immediately it fell. And the ruin of that house was great. So, um, the whole situation with the girl who got arrested, she's no longer at our school, and that was her not grounding in the things that she said that she would do for our team. And it hurt more than just herself, but hurt the team as well. But I wanted to kind of be able to teach the values and morals to my girls that all your actions um, matter. Everything you do is a choice. Um, and making sure that you're putting the efforts into being rooted and grounded um, in life to so make sure that you are strong because 
trials and challenges are going to come at you no matter what. Um, I did tell them right away that is a Bible verse, and I explained to them, I'm using this like any to um, like any other quote or any other um, if your teachers use like science or history or class to explain something. So I don't want you to think I'm pushing religion on you, but this is what I'm using to teach you guys a value. And they actually really liked it, which was great. Um, but I don't want high school girls, you know, twisting, manipulating what I say as I'm trying to push religion on them. So that was kind of my way of just clearing that out of the air so I can not get in trouble for it. Um, but I broke it down to them verse by verse. And I first started with, but he who heareth and doeth not. And then I went hearing versus listening. Um, you need to put into action the things that you are being told. Um, there's a big difference between hearing and listening, and that's the same thing with Christians in our walk of life. Um, we need to listen to what Jesus Christ is telling us to do, not just hear it and then choose not to follow. We actually have to put it into action into our lives. Amen. Um, so I talked about that, hearing versus doing, and then it's also like... I talked about insanity. Like, what does insanity mean? Doing the same thing over and over and over again, expecting a different result. Um, I feel like I maybe can be push my girls a little hard sometimes on making a change. But when you're an adolescent, if you don't have any authority figure that pushes you to do that, sometimes you need that extra little push. Um, and so this was a big part of that uh, within volleyball, trying to teach them that you need to be able to take correction, not only from me as a coach, but as your teachers or your parents and elders, um, and apply it in your life. Then I went to the next part, is like a man who built a house on the earth without foundation. So you can't build a house um, on sand or mud. If you do that, you're going to just fall. And that's why it talks about the um, storm coming in and uh, destroying their house. So I told them, every time you come into practice or every time you go into school, you need to be given that 100% all the time. Because if you're not, you are building a sloppy foundation and you're going to fall when challenges come into your way, um, whenever tribulations come. So just kind of talked about discipline and what that takes, that uh, it's a choice to choose to give 100% effort or kind of be lukewarm in what you do. Um, once you know the difference, like you need to make sure you're choosing the right way, the righteous way. You can be 100% sure that storms will come. Um, and it's the foundation that you have built, the work and the sweat that you put into uh, your foundation, building your house, that will set you up for victory or defeat. And that's basically what I just kind of talked about with them and I went off more and more about volleyball mm -hmm. but <laughs> that you guys don't really need to hear but uh that was just kind of me being able to oh I did talk to him about distractions too and staying obedient from distractions I'm like I asked them what are distractions to you and this applies to being a Christian too and for teenage girls it's boys school um family friends tv games music just life things um so I talked to him about no matter the distractions, the distractions are in your life, when you are trying to do something and be better at it or you're devoting your time to it, whether it's you're in school or um, whether it's being with your family, you need to give 100% to that because you can't do anything with boys when you're at school or grades. You know, when you're at volleyball, you can't help that grade or exam. But also with a Christian, it's important that you stay obedient um, 
through and overcome the distractions and trials and um, tribulations by following what Jesus Christ told you to do, following his word, never um, allowing that to keep you from his will, from the job that you're supposed to do to serve him. Because when you do that, you're only hurting yourself. Not only God, that hurts God. Because he has so many plans for you, but you're also hurting yourself. Mm -hmm. So I just kind of talked about that as well. All right. So um, the part that uh, came on my heart, you know, my mind to um, to mention today is about um, wisdom and knowledge. Um, it's about wisdom and knowledge and how everything that God tells us, or everything everything that God has put his hand into is good. No matter what it is, it's good. And the first um, thing I'd like to go to that mentions that it is good is James chapter 1. Good one. It's James chapter 1, verse 17. Okay, <clears throat> so James chapter 1, verse 17 says, Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, and cometh down from the Father of lights, with whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. So this is just one scripture that is pointing out that all good things comes from God, the living God, the Holy Heavenly Father. So, the next one, is a, a connection with that, that same scripture. And <clears throat> it is, let me make sure to get this right, is the scripture that Christ is um, talking to um, a man and he's telling them about the commandments. And he's going through the commandments and he goes, um, he says to Christ, uh, good master. And Matthew Christ says, 19. Huh? Matthew, 19. Matthew 19. Yeah. He says, good master is what he called Christ. Is that the one with the, um, you're talking about with the, uh, what's his name? Uh, Jesus. He was, he was rich. Yes. Yes. So he's, was it, was it 19 the parable of life? It's, yeah, Matthew 19 and 16. That's it. Uh, no, it's 17. Okay. 17. Um, it goes, uh, so he's, he called Christ good. And what Christ replied was, and he said unto him, Why callest thou me good? There is none good but one, that is God. But if thou wilt enter into life, keep the commandments. So this is another reference that Christ himself tells him that God, like, what you, if you call me good, I am not good. So he is giving that glory to God. So it's another um, to let people know that it's God that all that goodness comes from. So now what I really wanted to get into is the knowledge and the wisdom part, which all comes from the living God. Let's turn to Proverbs. Proverbs chapter 24, verse 13. Now usually when you, when you feel something, good, um, it's kind of like a confirmation, like, um, but in the, in the way of God, in His way, uh, the fruit 
good, good fruit tells you the results of something. Um, when, you, when you yield good fruit, you know that you've done something right. You can tell someone a message, and they can say, oh, wow, thank you very much. You know, they usually give you a response saying thank you, mm -hmm. um, expressing their gratitude. So if you ever heard the, um, the saying, chew on this, or I'll give you something to chew on, you can chew on that particular thing for hours, for months, for a really long time. You can chew on it and forget about it. It can be out of your mind and just forget about it. And randomly, sometimes you can say, oh, this person told me about that, this particular thing, and say, oh, now I get it. And when that understanding comes, it feels really good. It feels sweet. So this particular passage, verse chapter, uh, Proverbs chapter 24, verse 13 says, My son, eat thou honey, because it is good, and the honeycomb, which is sweet to thy taste. So shall the knowledge of wisdom be unto thy soul, when thou hast found it. Then there should be, shall be a reward, and thy expectation shall not be cut off. So that's just another confirmation saying that it is sweet, it is good. So the next one is... Um, Proverbs chapter 25, verse 16. And it says, Hast thou found honey? Eat so much as is sufficient for thee, lest thou be filled therewith and vomited. So, in a way it is saying, um, even though you can partake in anything that is good, but too much of something is not good for you. Mm -hmm. You'll vomit it up. You won't remember what you've, what you've gotten. Indulging. Mm-hmm, indulgence. Uh, greediness, it's, which is a sin. Um, and the last one, uh, same chapter, chapter 25 of Proverbs, uh, verse 27. It is written, It is not good to eat much honey, so for men to search their own glory is not glory. Especially to do something for your own, for your own gain is not good. Mm -hmm. So in this part, it is it's saying, for the reason of um, partaking in such a thing, for your own glory, it's not good. So um, we all know that all glory is God. It goes right back up to God. Christ himself said that to the man when he said, good master. He says, no, there is none good but God. So that is all. That's awesome. You guys brought some key points for sure. Um, there is one thing, though. I mean, um, one thing about Jesus when he was here, he was um, here to point people back to the Father, that the Father was the way. But I know a lot of people will take that passage and think that it means that Jesus himself wasn't saying that he was God, because people bring out that, that argument. Like, no, Jesus is saying there's no one good but God. But I think if you go to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, Let's just go here real quick just to make a quick point. And they're talking about the gifts of the Spirit here. But they say, and we're actually going to end up here anyway. But it says, um, we'll start at verse 1. 1 Corinthians 12 and 1. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I would not have you ignorant. Ye know that ye were Gentiles uh, carried away unto these dumb idols, even as ye were led. Wherefore I give you to understand that no man speaketh by the Spirit of God, calleth Jesus accursed, 
and that no man can say that Jesus is the Lord, but by the Holy Ghost. So what it makes clear here is that, well, then it says in four, now there are, diver oh, that's, that's another one, but okay. But the point that they're making here is only someone of the nature of God can call, you know, Jesus Lord. So Jesus discerning this man's heart, if you go down further into the scriptures where he was talking about that, um, uh, and that's in Matthew 19, you know, when the guy was asking him, oh, I've kept this, I've kept that, what must I do? Like James was reading, and, you know, um, Jesus was telling him a long list of the Ten Commandments to keep, you know, to be like him, and the guy said, oh, I've kept all of those, so now what? Jesus said, if thou be perfect, sell everything you have and follow me. And then the kid left because he said he had great possessions. So part of that was Jesus knew that as much as this guy was saying, oh, you're good and this and that, Jesus was being humble and giving his father the glory, no doubt. God the Father is God. But part of it was this guy, how can you discern what's good and you're not of the spirit of God? Mm -hmm. Okay, so this is where in some ways the world had even flip-flopped some things by saying what is good today and we know it to be evil just by reading the Bible. So, you know, totally James is correct as far as the, um, you know, Christ is God. Yeah, I mean, Christ um, saying that giving the glory to the Father, you know. But um, I just wanted to capitalize on one other part saying that only them of the nature of God can call God good. Because you know that Jesus himself never turned down worship. Okay, he never did like the angels. Hey, don't worship me. Get up. Go away. People have, you know, gone down, worship Jesus Christ. And, you know, he never told them they were wrong. He accepted that, you know, worship. Now, he did come in the Father's name. So we're not comparing the Father and Son, which one is higher than whom. God the Father is God, but Jesus Christ is also God. All right? There are many scriptures that will tell you this, you know, concerning the two of them. But I totally get what, um, man, what you guys brought was awesome. I just wanted to defend that point real quick because people may misunderstand what James was saying. And they may say that Jesus himself... You know, well, see, Jesus is saying he's not God when really he was here on the earth to be a representative. But he was named Emmanuel, meaning God with us, you know, and, and James 1, 1, he was right there with the father from the beginning. You know, the father brought him forth. So that's all I wanted to bring up before we go into the lesson. I mean, if anyone disagrees, we can talk about it because I don't want it, you know, anything to be misunderstood. But yeah, man, that was awesome, you know, because we do have to have obedience towards God. I mean, that was flawless, you know. Are they, are they say, basically saying with, uh, or when you said Jesus didn't turn down worship, it, was he accepting that on God's behalf? Is that what you're kind of saying? Or well, the angels came, right. But see, here's the distinction. Angels came as messengers. God gave them something to do. They came down and presented it. But when those people got down to worship the angels, the angel, hey, don't do it. I'm just a messenger or whatever, and they point people back to God. But Jesus was down here, you know, receiving worship, and when his obedience was fulfilled, even unto death, he went up into the heavens, and they said he's sitting on the right hand of the Father, and the Father gave all dominion and glory unto his Son. So Jesus, without doubt now, is God. You know, I mean, who can do, you know what I'm saying? You can't worship. If the Father tells him something, then he is. And if you go to Hebrews 1, um, 1 and verse 8, we're not going there. You guys can read it in your spare time. The Father calls the Son God. Was, was it 8 or 11? Hebrews 1 and verse 8. Verse 8. Yeah. 
but the Father calls the Son God. He said, Thy throne, O God, is forever and ever. And then they make a clear distinction between Jesus and the angels. You know, because they said he was much greater than they. Mm-hmm. You know, and at, in no time did he ever call any of the angels his son. So, you know, um, Hebrews 1 makes a big, clear distinction. We're actually going to cover that on Tuesday night between the two, you know. So, and the only reason I do that because I know people send me emails and stuff. And then, you know, it's just a whole thing. Well, see, this proves, you know. And I'm like, man, read the Bible, you know. So, all right. So, uh, from here. Uh, we're going into, um, you know, th- this is the weapons of our warfare, not carnal. So, you know, we have eight on this list. The first one we're going to tackle is praise. Because what we need to understand is praise in the Lord. I mean, it's a it's a serious, powerful weapon when you thank God for everything he's done. And you uplift the name of God, you know, the Lord will be there with you. That That brings a strong presence of God. So I'm just going to read one quick thing on praise, and then we're going to go right to the scriptures. This is weapon one. It says praise. Praise silences the enemy. Out of the mouth of babes and nursing infants, uh, you have ordained strength because of your enemies, that ye may silence the enemy and the avenger. That's Psalm 8, 1 and 2. All right. And then it says, and Jesus said unto them, Ye have ye never read out of the mouth of babes and nursing infants, and you have perfected praise. So that's Matthew 21 and 16. We're not going to go there, but it says the strength of God has ordained us, I mean, for us, a perfect praise. Perfect praise silences the enemy and the avenger. Many of our problems would be solved if we could only get Satan and his demons to shut up. Now, they operate by injecting suggestions into our minds, which seem uh, plausible, but are rooted in unbelief and rebellion towards God. Uh, the, the suggestions come as they were uh, our own um, thoughts. Uh, when they are not all at all, so they, you know, a lot of the times we can think thoughts of ours when they're not. Uh, we lose battles when we believe and trust these um demonic suggestions you know we've done that before where we've talked about um the four types of influence that the enemy can bring on us from the outside of the body is one depression okay when a person doesn't even realize what's attacking them you know a lot of it can come through thoughts first no one ever just jumps into bed no one ever just takes a needle and sticks it in their arm no one ever just kills themselves because of you know they just felt like doing it Okay, so there's always demonic attacks and things that come before we even get to sin. So we got to ward these things off long before they come to us. Now, depression is, you know, again, it's demonic influence outside of the body. So that would be just, you know, attacks, outward attacks. And then when you go to um, two, which is obsession, it's when you're partaking in the sin, which is demons residing in your flesh. That means you've just made the first step. You've, You've been a part of the sin, you like it, you can't find a reason to stop at this point. When you get to level three, which is in the soul, is oppression, which is when demons are pretty much on your will. Now, what is the soul? The mind, the will, and the emotions. Okay, so at this point, oppressed, the sin has now got you. Where you were once partaking in it, you know, and you thought it was fun, and you did something at your own free will, Like Paul said in Romans 7, the thing that I hate, 
that I do. The thing that you know is wrong, you hate it, but you do it because now the sin has got you. You know, it's in your, it, it's, you know, it's breaking your will. Okay. I mean, to where you need, you know, to really fast and pray your way out of it. The fourth is possession, which is demons that reside in the spirit. There's something that cannot happen to a Christian. But if a Christian continues down that road and goes way off course, they can find themselves being possessed with a spirit. Okay. Being a prisoner. Being held oh, yeah. Totally. I mean, and, you know, the devil slowly filters and he works his way through. So I understand what this guy is talking about concerning praise because... The enemy will love to come at you like Ephesians 6 says, where he'd fire his darts at you, making you think and believe things, but your shield of faith is up. If you know that your God is God, when the devil comes at you, you think God really cares about us? Come on. I mean, why are you down here suffering and dealing with this and that, and you know your friends have left you because of this Jesus? Do you really think that that's going to work? Or the enemy can even go to another extreme and say, now, you know from reading this Bible, God loves you, okay, no matter what you do, which is true. But it's like, you know, God loves you, so, I mean, come on. You know, you've been good for a few weeks. Why not just one time? He'll this is how, you. Exactly. This is how the devil works his way into people's lives, and people, yeah, you know, I guess one time won't hurt. Before you know it, you're obsessed, you're uh, oppressed, which means it, it's got you and possessed, I wouldn't say that anybody is owned by Satan, but what I will say is he's now using you at, at his will. Okay, so at that point, people need deliverance seriously, kind you know, right. to get stuff out of them. Oh, yeah. So possession is a very real thing. Anybody have anything to add or any questions so far? To, yeah. A little bit. Um, yeah. What you're saying makes me, it makes me think about um, when Christ was walking on water, and I think it was Peter who called out to him. If he says, permit me to walk on the water, too. Mm -hmm. um, I remember going through this, this study, and the study was saying, like, when he started drowning his faith, he started to lose his faith, like, trembling in his faith. And then it was, like, symbolic to how human beings start to dabble in, like, uh, things in life. When they go through things in life, and then the water's, like, um, like things in life, it starts to over, like, pressure them. Mm -hmm. But what, when Christ lifted it up, lift him, lift him up, he was basically, he was like, where is your, like, why did you lose faith? Mm -hmm. It's like, you got to walk on the water. You got to walk above the things that tempt you. You got to walk over and overcome the things that oh, yeah. try to overpower you in life. So that's what it makes me. No, think. totally. Um, I think we actually talked about that one time. Um, I think that, excuse me, the thing that came to me was, um, yeah, that was a great example because when Peter was walking, you know, um, it said that he began to walk on the water. There was no doubt about this. Peter's mind transcended time and space. He believed Christ, and he walked out on that water. And then the Bible says, when he saw the winds and the waves, his spiritual mind again turned carnal because of his circumstances. But the funniest thing was, he was almost to Jesus. So the closer you get to Jesus, the more that things are going to try and stop you from getting into that place. That's what the giants were doing in the promised land. Okay, the giants weren't in the wilderness. They were waiting for them in the promised land. Okay, when the wilderness, they had to work things out and pursue Christ and everything. And will pursue God, learn his laws, statutes, and commandments. So, you know, the wilderness itself would be a type of religion that you're in. You know, trying to figure things out. You know, trying to increase in relationship. 
But what stood between relationship and the Israelites were the giants. When they can be considered demons. You know, through that whole path of sanctification, here's the biggest opposition. Now, if you beat them, now you can come into the promise. And what does Jesus always say? Like he said seven times to the seven churches, to him that overcometh. Okay, so we've got to be overcomers. We've got to be conquerors in Christ. The further you get in this thing, that veil will start to pull back. And you begin to see what's on the other side. Mm -hmm. But, you know, we're not supposed to waver in our faith. We're supposed to take that land like the Lord said. But this is what stops a lot of people from getting into the soul, into the spirit, into the promise, because of the, the cares of this life. That's what the parable of the sower was about. Remember, some, you know, they heard it, they heard the word, and the devil came and took it away. You know, so those people weren't that serious. The second, you know, was... Um, you know, those that were, that received the word with joy. So, you know, when you get a lot of that joy, you're in your soul. You know, in your emotions, you're happy to hear it. But then when you find out, hey, did anybody tell you the Christians, you know, been persecuted in the past? Now it's like, ooh, let me step back from this. Why? Because you're in your soul. You're not in the spirit. The same reason Peter denied Jesus. Peter was talking with pure emotion. Lord, I'll never leave you. I'll be with you here and there. Jesus looked at him and looked at flesh. He was not full of the Holy Ghost of Acts, the second chapter. said, Peter, you're going to deny me three times. And Peter couldn't believe it. But he did just what the Lord said. Because it's just like Christina said, your house ain't built up. If it's on quicksand, it will not stand the test of time. So mm -hmm. that's one of those things that, um, you know, totally, when he, the closer he got to the Lord. Now, you know that he was right by the Lord because the Lord pulled him up. But he lost his faith just before getting there, and he began to sink. So, you know, um, that was a great point brought up by James, because this is exactly what the whole walk is about. All right, so let's go to, uh, we're going to get on praise. Let's go to Psalm 19. Actually, Judges 4, sorry, guys. <laughs> Judges 4. <laughs> this is Judges 4. This is the time of Barak and Deborah. Um, you know, in Israel, we're going to read a little background on them. And um, then we're going to cut right to it. We'll start at verse 1, Judges 4 and 1. Got to get Jacob a new Bible, man. No, it's fine. Bible's suffering. <laughs> man. All right, Jake, I mean Jake. <laughs> Judges 4 and 1. <laughs> it says, see, false prophet. Where does it say Jake in the Bible? Well, Jacob. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Right. And the children of Israel again did evil in the sight of the Lord when Ehud was dead. You can't go two chapters without reading the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord. We've got a lot to learn from them. Verse 2. And the Lord sold them into the hand of Jabin, king of Canaan, and reigned in Hazar, the captain of whose host was Sisera, uh, which dwelt in Herosheth of the Gentiles. And the children of Israel cried unto the Lord, for he had nine hundred chariots of iron, and twenty years he mightily oppressed the children of Israel. 
and Deborah, a prophetess, the wife of uh, Lipidoth, uh, she judged Israel at that time. And she dwelt under the palm tree uh, of Deborah between Ramah and Bethel and Mount Ephraim. And the children of Israel came up uh, to her for judgment. And she sent and called Barak, the son of Abinoam, I guess that's it, Abinoam, of Kadesh, Naphtali, Naphtali um, and said unto them, Saith not the Lord God of Israel command, saying, Go and draw toward Mount Tabor, and take thee with thee ten thousand men of the children of Naphtali, which are one of the tribes of Israel, and of the children of Zebulun. And I will draw unto thee uh, to the river Kishon, Sisera, the captain of Jabin's army, uh, with his chariots and his multitude, and I will deliver him into thine hand. So Deborah, being a prophetess, is telling them, telling Barak, that the Lord is telling her, that the Lord told her to tell him that you need to take your men out there and go and fight, and the Lord is going to deliver these guys into your hand. All right? And Barak said unto her, this is verse 8, uh, If thou wilt go with me, then I will go. But if thou wilt not go with me, then I will not go. And she said, I will surely go with thee, notwithstanding, like however... Uh, the journey that thou takest shall not be for thine honor, for the Lord shall sell Sisera into the hand of a woman. Okay, so that tells you there, because a lot of people like to use the example of Deborah herself. Well, she was a judge. She judged over men and this and that. Deborah was a prophetess, which means she heard from the Lord and she repeated what the Lord told her to say. Now, this guy Barak refused to go, and Deborah is telling him right here, that you realize you're giving your honor to a woman. That you're supposed to actually go out there and do it, but you're not doing it. So the honor won't be yours in the Lord. It's gonna the Lord's gonna pay attention to me. Okay, so this is what's going on here. Um okay, um oh, and Deborah arose and went with Barak to Kedesh. And Barak called Zebulon and Naphtali and Kadesh, and he went up with ten thousand men at his feet, and Deborah went up with him. Now Heber the Kenite, uh, which was one of the children, which of the children of Hoab, Hobab, the father-in-law of Moses, had severed himself from the Kenites and pitched his tent unto the plain of Zaanim, I guess that's it, Zaanim, uh, which um, is by Kadesh. And they uh, shewed Sisera that Barak, the son of Abinoam, was going up to Mount Tabor, and Sisera gathered together all his chariots, even 900 chariots of, of iron, and all the people that were with him were Herosheth uh, of the Gentiles unto the river of Kishon. And Deborah said unto Barak, Up for this uh, is the day in which the Lord hath delivered Sisera into thy hand. Okay, so long story short, this would have seemed like a very difficult battle because Sisera had more men. They had stronger a stronger force. Um, Deborah, along with um, Barak, you know, the children of Israel ended up defeating them. So the reason I went there is because um, I think part of the reason why many of us don't praise is because we don't recognize the things that the Lord does for us. 
Okay, so this would be a type of praise that we're going to talk about, a miraculous work, a marvelous, a wonderful, a wonderful work that the Lord may do that may inspire praise. So we're going to have different phases of praise here, and then we're going to move on. But let's go to uh, Judges 5 right now, and I'll start at verse 1. So they delivered them into their hands, and then it says, Then sang Deborah and Barak, the son of Abinoam, uh, on that day, saying, Praise ye the Lord for the avenging of Israel, when the people um, willingly offered themselves. Hear, O ye kings, give ear, O ye princes. I, even I, will sing unto the Lord. I will sing praise to the Lord God of Israel. So the point I'm making here is, there was, this was a miraculous work. They went to war. The Lord made sure that they were victorious. They praised God for it. Now, this is something that anyone can understand, and I think this is why a lot of praise is not going on in certain churches, because, you know, people are not doing the things of the God of, of the Lord, which the Lord would want them to do, mm -hmm. okay? Because the reason with one of the churches, the problem is they're not on fire. A church will get on fire real quick if you see the gifts of the Lord being worked out. When you see limbs grow out and you see blind, blind men have their sight restored, this is only going to bring about a greater praise in the Lord. So this is one type of praise. And this is why the church was so strong in those days. Mm -hmm. Because of the fact that they saw the works and miracles. They believed God. So the presence of God was strong. Alright, so I just wanted to make that example real quick to um, make a quick point. Anyone want to add anything they can uh, from here? Let's go to Psalm um, 7. So praise is a very strong, I mean, powerful weapon that we have. And all we got to do is uplift the Lord. Sure. I think what many people or so-called Christians won't do is because the Lord works in his timing. Mm -hmm. His timing is always perfect. Mm -hmm. And I know from my life, the Lord has shown himself to me in, in various ways. And it's just obvious that it is his hand. And when he takes care of my every need. And some people just don't, you know, the carnal mind will say, oh, well, that, don't you think that that was just luck? You know, don't you think what you did? I'm like, mm -hmm. I praised the Lord. I prayed to him. I fasted. And he answered and heard my prayer. So Praise even says a lot about a person's um, maturity with the Lord. Because yeah. there are some people, they move wherever the wind blows. Mm -hmm. If today is a bad day, they curse God. If today is a good day, they love God. You know, um, when, when times are rough, they doubt whether there even is a God. And then there's other days there, you know, oh, man. God gave me a nice car. Now, you believe that God gave you that, so you're excited about the things that he's done for you in the natural realm, if he even did it. Because the point is, is that God doesn't even want our attention focused on things like that. There are people that hate God that have better cars. So what's the point that you're making here? Right. So you're basing a lot of what the Lord does in the flesh or in the carnal world on how good he is to you. When really, we should be thanking him for the breath in our lungs. You know, the fact that, you know, he's kept us for this long. So many of us don't recognize the spiritual warfare that we go through on a daily basis. How the Lord will, will make you forget two or three things in the morning 
you keep running back to the house. You don't even know why. Okay? And then you head out, and, you know, you got a smooth ride to work. You're not even recognizing there could have been something that, that was waiting for you. Okay? So we don't know why things happen. That's right. All right. So uh, Psalm 7 and 11, and it says, God judgeth the righteous, and God is angry with the wicked every day. If he turn not, he will he will wet his sword. Uh, he hath bent his bow and made it ready. He hath also prepared for him the instruments of death. He ordaineth his arrows against the um the prosecutors, the persecutors. So you know the Lord, hey, he is a God of war. He's a God of love, but he is also a God of war. Uh, verse fourteen. Behold, he tra he travaileth with iniquity. And uh, hath conceived mischief and brought forth falsehood. He made a pit and digged it, and in fallen into the ditch uh, which he made. His mischief shall return upon his own head, and his violent dealing shall come down upon his own um, his own pit. I will praise the Lord according to his righteousness, and will sing praise to the name of the Lord Most High. So this is the type of praise that we're supposed to have towards the Lord because he's thanking the Lord just for sustaining him. You know, we don't realize a lot of the things that he takes us through that we need to praise him for. And I'll tell you, the closer you get to him, man, you'll thank the Lord for the smallest things because you recognize that without him, like Jesus said, aside from me, you can do nothing. When we come to that reality, we will truly grow in the Lord. Uh, Second Chronicles five, and then we got to get to the mindset too that the Lord doesn't owe us anything. Right. You know, I think that a lot of people when when um, James was talking about you know, half-hearted, you know, with people that will, um, you know, expect God to owe them something, you know, it's just, God doesn't owe you a thing, you know, if anything, you know, we do things because, we owe him. exactly, you know, and he's willing to overlook a whole lot of things because, you know, he loves us, he sees the beginning from the end, all right, Second Chronicles verse 5 and 1, Thus all the work that Solomon made for the house of the Lord was finished, and Solomon brought in all the things that David his father had dedicated, and the silver and the gold and all the instruments put he among the uh, treasures of the house of, of God. Then Solomon assembled the elders of Israel and all the heads of the tribes, the chief of the fathers of the, of the children of Israel, unto Jerusalem to bring up the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord out of the city of David, which is Zion. Wherefore, all the men of Israel assembled themselves unto the king in the feast, which was in the seventh month. And all the elders of Israel came, and the Levites took up the Ark. And they brought up the Ark and the tabernacle of the congregation and all the holy vessels that were in the tabernacle, these did the priest and the Levites bring up. Also King Solomon and all the congregation of Israel that were assembled with him before the ark sacrificed sheep and oxen, which could not be told nor number of, for multitude. 
And the priest brought in the ark of the covenant of the Lord unto his place, to the oracle of the house, into the most holy place, uh, even under the wings of the cherubim. Okay, so this is pretty much talking about the building of the temple. For a while they went without a temple. All they had was a holy tabernacle. They moved around. When they arrived in the promised land, they didn't worship in the tabernacle or make sacrifices. So this is one actually being built that the Lord promised David, you know, and the reason for the temple was to have the presence of God among them, you know, a place of worship. Verse 8, for the cherubims spread forth their wings uh, over the place of the ark, and the cherubims covered the ark and the staves thereof above, and they drew out the staves of the ark, uh, that the ends of the staves were seen from the ark before the oracle, uh, but well, they were not seen without, and there it is unto this day. There was nothing in the ark save uh, to t um, save uh, the two tables which Moses put therein at Horeb, which are the Ten Commandments. Uh, when the Lord made a covenant with the children of Israel when they came out of Egypt, and it came to pass when the priests would come out into the holy place, for all the priests that were present, uh, were sanctified and did not uh, then wait uh, by, by course. Also the Levites, which were the singers, all of them of Asaph and Ham and Heman of uh, Judathon, uh, okay, <laughs> uh, with their sons and their brethren, being arrayed in white linen, having cymbals and psalteries and harps, stood at the east end of the altar, and with them an hundred and twenty priests sounding the trumpets. Now notice, a hundred and twenty priests, there's God's number again. You know, even though there's a zero in it, but it's like that twelve being represented again. Mm -hmm. uh, the thing here is, this became a big, you know, spectacle, of course. They're talking about how, you know, they finally have a temple, everybody's praising, everyone's worshiping. Verse 13, And it came to pass, as the trumpeters and singers were as one, so they were in harmony, uh, to make one sound to be heard in praising and thanking the Lord. And when they lifted up their voice with the trumpets and cymbals and instruments of music, and praised the Lord, saying, For he is good, for his mercy endureth forever, uh, that then the house was filled with the cloud, even the house of the Lord. Uh, so that the priest could not stand to minister by reason of the cloud, for the glory of the Lord had filled the house of God. So what we got to understand here is, you know, we did a teaching on the temple. We took it from the tabernacle where sacrifices were made. Then we went into Solomon's temple, which was a, you know, more permanent but smaller place for worship. And then you went into Herod's temple, which was destroyed in 70 AD that, you know, King Herod built. And then you got into what Paul says, don't you know that you are the temple of the living God? And when we examine Solomon's temple, remember, we even have those pictures of how it looked like a man, you know? So we are a temple of the Lord. If the presence of the Holy Ghost filled this temple, the presence of God, now what do you think praise is going to do in your temple? So this is why when we hear certain types of music and we just want to uplift the Lord and we might cry and we, we pray and then you arise and you have this feeling of cleanliness or cleanliness or you feel empowered by the spirit. It's because the Lord is filling your temple. So praise is a very important part of a Christian's life. 
Okay, because if you are the temple, you're making sacrifices in the temple, which can be fasting and prayer, but it's also your praise. So the Lord will empower you in prayer, in praise. So these are one of the weapons that we can use. And I can tell you, read Psalms when you're feeling down. Mm -hmm. You know, read the Bible, listen to spiritual music. I ain't talking to contemporary stuff. I'm talking real music inspired by God. And watch how it just switches your mood. Watch how you begin to believe when you listen to inspirational pastors, you know, Gary Price, R.W. Schombach, um, Burt Clendenin. These guys really preach the word of God. They will get you up and running. Oh, yeah. Okay, so we want to, you know, we want to, this is how we walk in the, the spirit and not to fulfill the lust of the flesh. So when you're being attacked, you know, like you mentioned um, one time before um, about, you know, listening to Joel Osteen, it did kind of uplift you, make you feel better about things. It's unfortunate that Joel Osteen doesn't, you know, teach where he should because he would be inspirational to people. Now, inspiration is neither good or bad. Inspiration means to be divined upon by a spirit. Inspiration, you're breathed upon by a spirit. So that spirit can be good or bad. You can turn on Rocky in here right now and get real pumped up. But does it have anything to do with Lord, with the Lord? No. You know, so inspiration itself is a thing that is to be breathed upon by a spirit. That spirit can be good and it can also be bad. So we want to make sure that we're full of spiritual, you know, um, God's um, inspiration, you know, and that will uplift you for sure. Make you believe more in your God. So um, let's just get a psalm real quick, Psalm 150, and then we're going to give an example, and then we're going to move on. Man, David had a heart for praise. When you think of David's heart, I mean, and you read Psalms, man, compared to him, it's almost like you have no God at all. You know, like, man, this guy loved the Lord. And this is where our hearts need to be. But the Bible says he was a man after God's own heart. Right. All right. Psalm 50. This is short, but it says plenty. Psalm 150, uh, verse 1. Praise ye the Lord. Praise God in his sanctuary. Uh, praise him in the firmament of his power. Praise him for his mighty acts. Praise him according to his um, excellent greatness. Praise him with the sound of the trumpet. Praise him with the psaltery and harp. Praise him with the temporal uh, and dance. Praise him with uh, stringed instruments and organs. Praise him upon the loud cymbals. Praise him upon the high um, sounding cymbals. Let everything that hath breath praise the Lord. Praise ye the Lord. Okay, so this even tells you, I mean, praise is important. Mm -hmm. Saul, who was the king over Israel at one point, used to ask David. Let's go to Acts 16 and 16. Psalm used to, um, Saul used to ask David to come and play for him to chase off the demons. Remember that the demonic spirits that used to plague and bother Saul, he would have David there playing his harp that would ward off the spirit. So, you know, praise is a really big thing. It's a real big deal. You're right. All right, we'll give one example and then we'll move on to the next. I don't think the others will be as long because, you know, they're pretty right to the point. All right, so we're in Acts 16 and 16, and it says, And it came to pass, as we went to prayer, 
a certain damsel possessed with the spirit of divination met us, which brought her masters much gain by soothsaying. And uh, the same uh, followed Paul and us and cried, saying, These men are the servants of the Most High God, which shew unto us the way of salvation. This is one reason why I talked about inspiration as I did, because this woman possessed by a python spirit, spirit of divination, is saying all the right things about Paul and Silas and, and God. She said, they are here to bring us unto salvation. The devil in her pretty much wanted them to give the devil attention. So Paul, with his discernment, understood that this was not spoken of by the Spirit of God. This woman was trying to get attention. And that's one thing that the devil will try and do is get attention. He wants to be praised. He wants to be worshipped for the things that he does. This is why he gives you some truth to lead you into error. Okay, but they ignored this woman. So verse 18, and this did she many days. But Paul, being grieved, turned and said to the spirit, I command thee in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And he came out that same hour. And when her master saw that the hope of their gains was gone, they caught Paul and Silas and drew them into the marketplace unto the rulers. So this woman, because of her divining spirit, which comes from demons, because it's a python spirit, and Deuteronomy 18 says to stay away from it, she brought her masters much gain. Demons gave her some knowledge. She was able to tell them the right thing maybe to gamble on or to buy or whatever would be productive, and it worked for them. So now these guys are angry because they cast a demon out of her, so now she can't divine anymore or, or you know, cast spells. Verse 20, and brought them uh, to the magistrates, saying, These men being Jews do exceeding trouble our city and teach customs which are not lawful for us to receive neither to observe being Romans. Quick point, you know, again, notice that the laws are against their customs. If you're a Christian and you're bringing forth the word of God, you are one of these people. You, the word of God is not one of the customs that the world appreciates. So this is why they make laws to try and get you to be quiet. Mm -hmm. All right, uh, verse 22. And the multitude rose up together against them, and the magistrates rent off their clothes and commanded to beat them. And when they had laid many stripes upon them, they cast them into prison, charging the jailer to keep them safely, who, having received such a charge, uh, thrust them into an inner prison and made their feet fast in their stocks, in the stocks. So this is like maximum security. I mean, they're in the inner part of the inner prison, all right, and bound in chains. Uh, and at midnight, Paul and Silas prayed and sang praises unto God. And the prisoners heard them, and suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken, and immediately all the doors were open, and everyone's bands were loosed. So, you know, these guys were just beaten and jailed. Now, the average Christian today, or so-called Christian, would have probably, God, how can you let this happen to me? You know, I got to do this. I represent you, and this is where you leave me? So these are two mature Christians full of the Holy Ghost that are praising the Lord for what, for just, you know, because he's God. He, they're praising him because of their persecution and their tribulation. And the Lord sent a mighty earthquake and broke these jail cells and their bands were loosened. All right. And the keeper of the prison awakening out of his sleep and seeing the prison doors open, he drew out his sword 
and would have killed himself supposing that the prisoners had been fled. And Paul cried out with a loud voice, Do thyself no harm, for we are all here. And he called for the light and sprang it, and uh, came trembling and fell down before Paul and Silas, uh, and brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved in thy house. So you know that this guy was saved. You know, he did exactly what Paul and Silas said. The interesting point is now, they understood that wherever they were, they took the glory of the Lord with them. They brought their praise even now. This is praise in time of tribulation. We heard of praise for the good things that the Lord has done. We've heard of praise just to be empowered by the Spirit of God. And now we're also hearing praise for what the Lord does. You know, just in, even when times are bad, you're uplifting him and look at the power of God. So they were only put in that situation. Yeah, they have stripes laid upon them, but they were only in that situation to bring the kingdom of God to other people. Right. So we can't be afraid of persecution. There are people that have gone to jail that have built ministries in jail so much so that they reduced their sentence. Hey, you need to get out of here because you're too busy, you know, winning people to the Lord. So you want to bring the life of God with you in every situation. But you can't bring that unless you're full of the Spirit of God. So this is a part of our maturing, and this is the power of prayer. Just right. when things, I mean, or praise, when things seem all hoped, you know, no hope, it's lost, my circumstances are so much bigger than me, praise the Lord. This will only increase your faith, okay? So if anyone wants to add anything, they can. Um, if not, we'll go to weapon two, which is the Word of God. So let's go to Hebrews 4 and 12. What was weapon 2? The Word of God. An interesting point here is um, two. There are two words for word in the Bible. There are two types of word. One is um, rhema, which is the spoken word of God, which you get through relationship or God's intervention, and then there's the Logos, which is the written word of God. Okay, so you want to be, you know, clear on these two things. Rhema is something that you would even value that much more, because, like, um, the great point that James brought up about um, knowledge and wisdom is that with wisdom, you know, I mean, knowledge, the Lord tells you what a thing is. When you go into the, the spiritual gifts, the word of knowledge, the Lord will tell you what a thing is, Wisdom is telling you what to do about it. Okay, so you don't want to be void of either of them. But the point is, is that, um, you know, you want the rhema. You want God's instruction. God told them to do many things here in the Bible, but there's nothing greater than you've done all of this. And now you're in a difficult situation and you hear the voice of the Lord because you've got a hearing heart. You've been obedient. So that vessel can accept the presence of the Lord at any time. All right, because when, you know, sin hinders prayer, you know, let's be real about that. So you want the rhema where the Lord says, hey, take nothing with you. Go out the back door and just keep going east. And you may not understand why, but you're going to do it, <laughs> you know. So you want his overall on the scene instruction, but you also want the word. You want to know it. But right now we're speaking of the logos, which is the written word of God. So Hebrews 4 and verse 12 says, 
For the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit, and to the joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. You know, we cannot afford to miss out on this. Powerful. All right. The word of God is quick. That's because it's of the quickening spirit. You ever notice how when you're engaged in spiritual warfare with people or you're trying to present God's word that you may not know what you're going to say and a person may bring up a defense and how quickly the Lord brings to your remembrance a scripture. Mm -hmm. And they didn't expect that because they're used to dealing with people that don't know Christ. So a lot of atheists and, you know, scientists will come at you and say things. But when you know the Bible, they kind of, you know, when you hit them with a gut punch with the word, now they're, uh, well, yeah, we never covered that before. Are you sure that's in the Bible? Because they're used to dealing with, with ignorant and unlearned Christians. But right. this talks about being quick. And the word of God is quick and it's powerful, which means, you know, it delivers a heavy blow and sharper than any two-edged sword. It means it's going through. Okay, whether you receive it or not is up to you, but the word of God is going to penetrate. And then it says, a dividing asunder of soul and spirit. Now, quick point here is, you know, the soul itself is your mind, will, and your emotions. The spirit is the place that you worship God. The word of God cuts around the soul to get to the spirit. Because what keeps us from doing a lot of the things of God is not just your flesh. Your flesh is only one part of it. But housed in that flesh is your will. Housed in that flesh is your feelings and your emotions. I don't want to talk about homosexuality because, and I don't believe that God believes it's wrong because I have an uncle that might be gay. So based on your emotions, you develop feelings that build strongholds. Well, the word of God is here to cut around that and bring everything into the truth. Let's go to Jude 1 to prove this point real quick. Um, Jude uh, one seventeen. All right, Jude one seventeen. It says, "But beloved, remember ye the words which were spoken before of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ, how that they told you there should be mockers in the last time who should walk after their own ungodly lust." So if they're dealing in their lust, they're dealing in what makes them feel good, their emotions. This is what they talk about, um, you know, lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God. Verse 19, these be they who separate themselves sensual, having not the spirit. Okay, because you're sensual, that word is sukekos in the Greek, which means you deal in your five senses. Whatever your five senses displays, that's your reality. So, you know, getting into the spirit, like Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, that it takes a spiritual mind to understand the spiritual things of God. This is why when you speak to worldly people about a spiritual thing, their carnal mind can't understand it. Because it first takes a piercing of the word of God and brings in your faith that allows you to believe what you wouldn't normally believe. Right. That's what the gift of faith is all about. That's why Peter walked on water, James 3. It's like that um, it has to 
go in and shatter that wall or, or that veil of unbelief in there mm-hmm. for them to be able to see. Mm-hmm. Like the, um, the scripture where it says, if Christ falls on you, you'll be broken. That's right, yeah. <laughs> but if he falls on you, I mean, yeah. well, if, or, you yeah, Christ, if you fall on Christ, right, you'll be broken. broken. But if he falls on you, you'll be grinded to powder. Grinded yep. to powder. Exactly. Now, which way would you rather have it? <laughs> Say, Lord, I need you. All right, verse 13, uh, James 3 and 13. And it says, Who is a wise man and endued with knowledge among you? Let him shew out of a good conversation his works and meekness of wisdom. But if ye have bitter envying and strife in your hearts, glory not and lie not against the truth. This wisdom descendeth not from above, but is earthly, sensual, and devilish. Look at the level here. Earthly means it's carnal, sensual, that which makes it move, and then devilish. Mm -hmm. So anytime that you deal in your senses void of the Spirit of God, you're going to be led the wrong way. Okay, you've got to yield to the Spirit of God to be able to understand what decisions and things to make. Right. Then it says, for where envying and strife is, there is confusion in every evil work. But the wisdom that is from above is pure, uh, then peaceable gentle and easy to be entreated full of mercy and good fruits without partiality and without hypocrisy meaning you got to be on one side or the other and the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace of them that make peace so the point i wanted to make the reason i brought that up is because um it talks about um jeremiah 23 but it talks about the uh difference between a sensual you know, and this is what the, the Spirit of God cuts through. When it says, piercing asunder, dividing between soul and spirit, that's the change that needs to take place. Right. Because you want the Lord to govern your feelings. You don't want to have your own. Your own feelings will turn you back to Egypt. You know, and this is why the children of Israel would not yield to what the Lord was telling them. Man, believe me, I've parted the Red Sea. I've done all these miraculous works. But they still, would God leave us to die? We're not going to have anything. We can't eat. We can't do this. So, you know, finally he got to the point, stay in the wilderness. You can go back to Egypt if you want, really. The only reason he didn't want them to go back to Egypt is because there was another generation for those 40 years that had to grow up that was going to go in the land. But at that point, he washed his hands with them. So Jeremiah uh, 23. Jeremiah 23 and 28 Jeremiah 23 and 28 and it says the prophet that hath a dream let him tell a dream and he that hath my word let him speak my word faithfully what is the chaff uh, to the wheat saith the Lord is not like is not my word like as a fire saith the lord and like a hammer that breaketh a rock in pieces man we have no idea what we are holding in our hands we have no idea how we can be turned if this word lives in you mm-hmm. and we and we are speaking in obedience 
We got no idea what kind of weapon this is. Ephesians 6 calls it the sword of the spirit. Okay, so this is what we need to be able to engage the enemy. When we try and win people to Christ, don't try and do it in your own wisdom. Your own wisdom has no power. Okay, your own wisdom may be slick, but it's not hitting the core of a situation where it needs to be. Learn this word. Quote this word. Isaiah says the word of God does not return void. Okay, so there will be results when the word of God is spoken. Either they're going to turn away and not receive it, or you're going to stun them where they stand because you're standing behind the truth of the words of God. Has it ever even occurred to us that these are the words of God? I mean, seriously, we look at this like it's just a Bible. You know, like it's just, yeah, you know, you know, we read what the prophet said. But do you understand that God said these very words? I mean, that ought to blow you away that you have this in your hand. And thank God for the Christians that thought that it was so important to hang on to the truth during their persecution. Because you have a Bible in your lap because there was someone who refused to stray away from the faith and to teach this word and have it translated. I mean, you know, what a treasure we're holding in our hands. You know, so we shouldn't take this book lightly. This is the book that is most owned and the least read. Now, you know that's supernatural. If everyone has one of these, why isn't everyone reading it? Because the devil knows if you get a hold of this, he can't stop you. That you've got the weapon, the very thing that can hurt him. This is why he comes up with corrupt versions and does other things, trying to distort the word of God. So, you know, this is important. Uh... I mean, everyone understands that so far, right? I mean, let's go to Acts 2 and 29. But the word of God does not return void. Jesus, when he was in the wilderness, he defeated the devil, all right, and had his obedience fulfilled by quoting three times, it is written. He never gave his own opinion. I like the reference you always use Acts for. Acts 2 and uh, 29. Okay. What's that, bro? I said I like the reference you always use to a uh, living, breathing organism. Oh, yeah. That it is. It's so true. Oh, yeah. yeah. Well, Jesus Christ said in John 1, he is the word. <clears throat> Man, it's funny how James and Christina, what you guys brought, is like right in with the lesson. Like it was like planned. All right. Uh, this is Peter's sermon. So we'll start from Acts 2 verse 29. Men and brethren, let me freely speak unto you of the patriarch David, that he is both dead and buried, and his sepulcher is with us unto this day. Therefore, being a prophet and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that of the fruit of his loins, according to the flesh, he would raise up Christ to sit on his throne. You know, now Jesus, um, his lineage goes all the way back to David. You know, a lot of people have speculation on, you know, how he's related because he was adopted. But we believe through understanding um, Luke 3 and 23 that he's related through Mary's side. So he's related actually on both sides through his son, Nathan, through David's son, Nathan. Mm -hmm. um, and there's, you know, that's another study we go into, but... Uh, verse 31, he seeing this before spake of the resurrection of Christ, that his soul was not left in hell, neither his flesh did see corruption. This Jesus hath God raised up, whereof uh, we all are witnesses. 
Therefore, being by the right of the the right hand of God exalted, and having received of the Father the promise of the Holy Ghost, he uh, he hath shed forth this uh, which ye now see and hear. For David is not ascended into the heavens, but he saith himself, The Lord said unto my Lord, Sit down on my right hand, uh, until I make thy foes thy footstool. That's Psalm 110. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God hath made the same Jesus, whom ye have crucified, both Lord and Christ. Uh, now when uh, they heard this, they were pricked in their heart and said unto Peter and to the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? Then Peter said unto them, Repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. For the promise is unto you and to your children and to all that are far off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. So what does it say? Now this is a brand new Peter. Peter was usually the one cutting off somebody's ear, doing things in his own, and the Lord correcting him. Acts the second chapter, verse 1 and 2, they got full of the Holy Ghost, and now Peter's out here sounding like Jesus. This is a brand new Peter here. I mean, Peter's speaking the truth. And there's no, you know, saying that he learned this from someplace else. So this is what it meant by, um, you know, the quickening. The quickening spirit, the word of God, powerful and quick. But it, look how it pierced them in their hearts. When they heard this, they wanted to change. So never do things in your own wisdom because he quoted a few scriptures here too. But inspired by the Holy Ghost, that's what gets things through. When your obedience is fulfilled in Christ, then you can go out and revenge all disobedience. Why? Because now your house is built up. And you're ready to do the job. So we've got to be built up before we go trying to, you know, I mean, there's nothing wrong with telling people of the truth, but get built up because there's not enough in you to, to do it. You're right. It's not you. It's Christ in you. And if You're right, because if we go out and we're not built up in Christ, if someone comes at us with something that we don't know, and if we're not grounded in Christ and say, well, you know what? Let me go research and then get back with you. We will answer in emotionalism. We can say, well, I know it's in the Bible, and you don't know what you're talking about, and I know what I'm talking mm -hmm. about. Then all of a sudden, you've, you've got someone saying, well, here again, i got someone who doesn't know what they're talking about, and I've dealt with you with them like a hundred times now. Exactly. Or there'll be, you know, then you break out usually in an argument, you know, and they tell them, oh, shut up, you don't right. know this and that. And, I mean, there's no place for that. Quote the word of God. If they believe, they believe. If they don't, they won't. Exactly. All right, the third weapon, the blood of Jesus. One of Satan's chief tactics um, is accusation. He is called the accuser of the brethren. Uh, when we sin, we give Satan opportunity to accuse us, both directly and through others. The reality is uh, we have all sinned. I'm still looking for a Christian on the earth. Who, um, who never sins. I'd love to learn from someone who no longer falls short of the glory of God. See, now, um, sin is costing us too much. Now, again, I'll make this point because when Paul says we all have fallen short, have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, but Jude uh, 23 says, unto him that is able to keep you from falling. So though I recognize that this is a weapon, the blood of Jesus, I'm still defending sanctification. Mm -hmm. I'm not saying we won't make mistakes, 
But when he's talking about uh, he'd like to meet someone who's never sinned, we have to define those terms. Because if you're having a bad day and you may say something like, you know, leave me alone, that's one thing. But if you're built up in Christ and you're out there still fornicating, doing whatever, masturbating, doing all this other stuff, man, something ain't right. So it depends on what he means by sin. Okay, so I'll stand with them in terms of certain things. But when it comes to others, there's no way in the world that I'm going to agree that we're going to do the same things that sinners do while being sanctified. And so what would make the difference? Right. Because we say we believe in Christ, but we live just like them? Oh, no. Sanctification says if we are faithful and just, I mean, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Yep. Okay, so I just wanted to define that part real quick. Um, all right, looking for one who never sins. I'd love to learn from someone who no longer falls short of the glory of God. Sin is costing us too much. When we are, I mean, when to our sins, Satan answers accusations, um, we can become condemned and discouraged. If we are ignorant of the power of the blood of Jesus, as it may be applied to this issue. So we got to understand what he's saying here. I think he's, you know, not really defining his terms, but this is true. When you fall, the enemy will love to rub it in your face. This is why you feel that moment of so much guilt. You just want to roll over and die because you can't believe after all you've learned, after all you've done in the Lord, that now here you are, like Peter said, a sow back in the mire a dog returning to his own vomit. So this is true as far as the devil accusing you because that's who's talking to you. The Lord want the Holy Ghost may you make you feel guilt. Come on now. You know, we've been here. What are you doing back here? Let's get it together. Now there's a difference between guilt and shame. Guilt will tell you I made a mistake and you want to get it right. Shame tells you I am my mistake. Okay, and then there's that feeling of unworthiness. And then there's that feeling of, well, I don't even want to strive right now. And then it takes a few days, you know, and it just seems like the Lord chases the devil off. You know, and then you start feeling like, you know, better again, like you've got another shot. But, you know, that's a big difference between guilt and shame. Because shame will make you want to give up altogether. Guilt will tell you, hey, you know that was wrong. And we're going to make it right. It's just like a parent correcting a child. You still love them. You're not going to disown them, but hey, we're going to make this right. Mm -hmm. So that's the sort of thing that, you know, you want to feel. So we'll give a few examples of um, the blood of Jesus. Did you want to say something? I don't know. I was well, reading your thoughts. Yeah, so, I was just thinking that it's yeah. especially like the conscious, like the conscious mm -hmm. talking to you. Mm -hmm. um, it also reminds me of a scripture uh, just left my mind, but it was, I was wanting to say it. it just left my mind. Oh, man. It's basically like the, uh, yeah, the conscious talking to you. Mm -hmm. um, oh, it's, it's similar to the uh, the part where Christ says, uh, you one being turned over to the reprobate mind. Mm -hmm. um, so oh, that's Romans 1. Um, continuing to uh, practice something that's a sinful thing. Mm -hmm. It's like your conscious, God is, um, we are made into the likeness of Christ, of, of God. Right. And continuing to do those things, we are turned over to reprobate mind. So it's like God is our conscious. He is in us to tell mm -hmm. us, um, yeah. You're so right, because what does it talk about in um, Timothy 4? Conscience seared with a hot iron. Why? You would not stop. 
and now you don't feel sin anymore. Yep. There are people, man, when you do enough, you know when the, when the glory of the Lord has departed because you'll have no desire to make it right with him and you won't even want him in your life. Like, remember what it says? Even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a reprobate mind mm -hmm. to do that, which is inconvenient. Like, okay, if this is what you want, then I'm going to give you what you want. I've tried to bring you back. Now, reprobation is disqualification. So, you know, we don't want to mess around with that. I'm not saying if you don't fall, the Lord won't forgive you. If you fail the Lord, my advice to anyone in here is never stop trying. Okay, don't give up. But, you know, it would do us some good to yield to his voice and do what he says to do. Because you don't know if one day that door may be shut. Mm -hmm. You may go too far. Okay, now, he wouldn't mention, like James brought up, you wouldn't mention reprobation if it wasn't such a thing that can happen. They wouldn't talk about your name being blotted out of the book of life if it had to once be in there. So, you know, it's not a thing you really want to mess around with. Now, the Lord sees the beginning from the end, so I'm not trying to paint fear here. But if you strive, you know, the Lord, you yield to the Holy Ghost, he will make things happen for you. But, you know, let's do better. You know, let's try and do what's right. Do I do everything right? Absolutely not. I have my struggles here just like anybody else. But I do recognize over every day, over every month, over every year, the Lord is taking things out of my life that I won't repeat. Okay? Process. Exactly. So let's go to 1 John 5, 6. Let's go to five. First one, five, five. All right. First John five five says, Who is he that overcometh the world? But he that believeth that Jesus is the Son of God. This is he that came by water and by blood, or and blood, even Jesus Christ, not by water only, but by water and blood. And it is the, the spirit that beareth witness, because the spirit is truth. For there are three that bear record in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Ghost, and these three are one. And there are three that bear witness in earth, the spirit uh, and the water and the blood, and these three agree in one. So this one, this water, would be talking about the washing of the water by the word, also your baptism. One, the spirit you get when you believe, and the blood is the remission of sins. Okay, so one thing you want to understand is, is that when you believe God and you, and you walk in his ways, I mean, well, if you believe, if you have faith that Jesus Christ is Lord, you know, then that blood washes you clean from all your sins. You know, it will take time Well, the Lord will do things. But the point is, is that you can't go without the blood. Okay, you can't try and get to the Father without Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. His work was too important. What Jesus did wasn't just a witness to us or from the Father. You know, he had a fallen cherub that accused him of being no better than the rest of them. So this was also a witness to the angels what Jesus did. 
This was an amazing work that was taking place in time and space. Yep. All right, anyone have any questions, anything they want to add? Um, if not, we'll go on to, uh, let's go to Ephesians 1 and 1. But that blood of Jesus, man, the devil couldn't handle that. That, that changed the game. That was checkmate, okay, for all history. When Jesus died on that cross, being obedient unto death, man, the devil knew his time was short because the job was done. It's like they were playing a high-tech game of chess that only they understood. Everyone else was just in the game as pawns and pieces being moved around. But, you know, Satan thought by, you know, trying to get him to give up that the job couldn't be done. But, man, when Jesus died and that blood was taken into the holy tabernacle, checkmate. Yep. That game was over for all time, from the beginning to the end. All right, Ephesians 1 and 1. All right, Ephesians 1 and 1, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God to the saints which are at Ephesus and to the faithful in Christ Jesus, grace be to you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who have blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. According as he had chosen us unto him, I mean, us in, um, in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestined us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself according to the good pleasure of his will. So when they talk about predestined, you know, again, we went into that. We covered one saved, always saved last week. Predestination is reservation, Okay. It, like the, uh, Peter says, he expects us, the Lord wants us all to make it. He wants none to perish. The Bible makes clear of that. But how many people are going to trust in God? How many people are going to believe and walk in his ways? So that's the predestination. Because the Lord sees the beginning from the end. He knows he's going to be saved. But if it were up to him and he could have it his way and everyone would obey, there'd be everyone with a place in heaven. Uh, verse 6. To the praise of the glory of his grace, wherein he hath made us accepted in the beloved, and whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of his grace. So, again, this separates the grace of Jesus Christ from the law. The fact that he was the perfect lamb, the sacrifice for all time, that if we should slip and fall, that we can call on the name of Jesus and ask him to forgive us. Okay, so he became the perfect Passover lamb, the perfect sacrifice to cleanse us, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Mm -hmm. This is an inheritance that Satan hates. This is why he paints pictures of, you'll never make it. You really think that's going to work? Oh, there are many ways to God. So he's trying to throw you off course because he knows that Jesus' blood is the atomic weapon. If the Bible says that the life is in the blood, then Jesus' blood has to be the atomic weapon. All right? So the enemy wants to stop you there. Um, a couple of examples. I want to get into some mature examples. Uh, 
let's go to Revelation 7. start from verse um, uh, 9. Let's start from verse 9. Alright, Revelation 7 and 9. After this I beheld and lo, a great multitude which no man could number of all nations and kindreds and people and tongues stood before the throne and before the Lamb clothed with white robes. Huh? Someone say something? Oh. <laughs> Okay, clothed with uh, uh, let's see. clothed with white robes and palms in their hands, and cried with a loud voice, saying, "Salvation of our God, which sitteth upon the throne and unto the Lamb." And all the angels stood round about the throne and elders. I mean, and, and about the elders, and the four beasts, and fell before the throne on their faces and worshipped God, saying, "Amen." blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor the power and might be unto our God forever and ever amen and one of the elders answered answered saying unto me what are these which are arrayed in white robes and whence came they and I said unto him sir thou knowest and he said to me these are they uh, which came out of great tribulation and have washed their robes and made uh, them white in the blood of the Lamb. Okay, so that tells you there that I know a lot of people talk about pre-trib rapture and all that stuff. Uh, this just says out of great tribulation, you know, that their, their robes were washed and made, you know, uh, by the blood of the Lamb. So, I mean, this is clearly telling us that we have to endure unto the end. Mm -hmm. Okay, the only thing that can wash you clean is the blood of the Lamb. But what does the Bible say in Revelation 1? Be thou faithful unto death, and the Lord will give us a crown of life. Okay, and white robes. So we got to be in this thing for the long haul. Not just feeling great about salvation. That is great. There's nothing greater than your salvation. But the point is, is that we got to recognize whatever it is that we have to go through to maintain it, we need to do. And you're only going to have that settled in your heart and mind right now, no matter what comes. Yeah, we might be having peaceful study right now, but maybe one thing, one day things won't be so peaceful. Am I going to cling to the faith? Am I going to still believe? So, you know, we have to be faithful because the blood washes you clean. If you've got the blood of Jesus, you're not even supposed to be afraid of death, honestly. You're not supposed to be afraid of any of those things because his blood is what won the war. All we have to do is stay un under the inheritance. That's right. Say something, James? 
Uh, I can read minds here, man. It's funny. You good? You sure? Mm -hmm. All right, cool. All right, so we can move on. I mean, everyone understands, right? The blood of Jesus, anything else? All right, let's go to weapon four, which is prayer. Let's go to Acts 12 and 1. That's another heavy weapon. Okay. Jesus died just so this could be so. Because when that holy place was rent, you know, that there'd be no more sacrifices, that we, every time we get on our knees, we walk into that most holy place to commune with Jesus, to talk to the Father. So he was perfect. All right, Acts 12 and 1. Uh, now about the time Herod, uh, the king, stretched forth his hands and uh, vexed certain of the church... <laughs> And he killed James, the brother of John, uh, with the sword. And because he saw he saw it pleased the Jews, he proceeded further to take Peter also. Then were the days of unleavened bread. Look at these politicians. Look at how they try and hang on the words of the people to please them. Once they saw that he killed James and everybody cheered. Oh, and uh, for my second uh, thing I'm going to do, we're going to get Peter up here. Look at how they are slaves of public opinion. Well, at least they appear to be. Uh, verse 4. And when he had um, apprehended him, he put him in prison and delivered him to four quaternions of soldiers to keep him intending after Easter to bring him forth uh, to the people. Peter, therefore, was kept in prison, but, prayed, but prayer was made without ceasing of the church unto God for him. And when Herod would have brought him forth the same night, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers bound with two chains and the keepers before the door kept the prison. You can't be more bound than this. He's between two soldiers, two chains. All right. And, you know, people at the door. So any little movement and these guys wake up. Verse seven. And behold, the angel of the Lord came upon him and the light shined in the prison. And he smote Peter on the side and raised him up, saying, Arise up quickly, and his chains fell, off his, fell from off his hands. And the angel said unto him, Gird thyself and bind on thy sandals. And so, did, and so he did. And he saith unto him, Cast thy garment about thee and follow me. And when he went out and followed him, and wist not that it was true, uh, which was done by the angel, but thought he saw a vision. When they were past of the first and the second ward, they came unto the iron gate that leadeth unto the city, which opened to them of his own accord. And he went out and passed on through, this, through one street, and forthwith the angel departed from him. So Peter was freed. He went back to the people. But biggest point of all of this, this is an amazing story, and I believe it's reality. But what was the driving force behind this awesome story? The fact that the, pe the people prayed for him without ceasing. Exactly. You know, the church prayed without ceasing. Now, I said a lot of churches are not praying. You know, they're, they're wasting their time in the flesh, you know, trying to enjoy life, trying to feel spiritual. But the point is, is prayer is one of the biggest weapons that we have. 
Okay, so you, you should have a life of prayer as a Christian, okay, because it increases your relationship. A life of prayer can work wonders, but we've got to believe that. That church prayed without ceasing. We can't even pray more than two minutes before bed, you know? Something wrong here. Let's go to um, 2 Peter 3. Second Peter three and ten. Cheating. Teamwork. <laughs> <It's too laughs> <good. laughs> right. Like four women here got the same Bible. May as well help one another. <laughs> All right. Um, Second Peter three and ten, and it says. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, and the which the heaven shall pass away with a great noise, and the element shall melt with fervent heat. The earth also and the works that are therein uh, shall be burned up. Seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved, what manner of persons ought ye to be in all holy conversation and godliness? Looking for and hasting unto the coming of the day of God, wherein the heavens being uh, on fire shall be dissolved. Um, let's see, shall be dissolved, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for new heavens. Uh, this is not what I was looking for. Uh oh. Let's go, sorry guys, let's go to 1 Peter 3. But that was a good question. Who in knowing all of this, that the Lord is going to do this, has no time for him? Right. Yeah, so that's cool. Sorry guys. Alright, we'll start at verse 11, 3 and 11. Alright, and it says, Let him eschew evil and do good. Let him seek peace and ensue it. For the eyes of the Lord are over the righteous, and his ears are open unto their prayers. But the face of the Lord is against them that do evil. So, you know, you want to recognize why a lot of prayers aren't answered. we got to look at the way we're living. Mm -hmm. You know, because like we read earlier about the temple, about the praise that goes on in the temple, the presence of the Lord filled that temple. Now, if we got sin in our lives doing a lot of stuff, how much do you think the Lord's going to interact with you? He loves you, but he can't be compatible with you because of what you're doing. He has no, if he tells you have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, then that means he has to, in some ways, disfellowship with you because you're not right. So if we want our prayers answered, there's nothing we can come before the Lord with. Jesus said, if you ask and doubt not, if you believe, if you ask for anything in my name, it will be done unto you. So we got to know that our prayers will be answered because we've been obedient. Now, will we do everything right? No. But the point is, is there are things that will block our ways. We can always have an attitude and say, Lord, forgive me. But if we're out there doing things in the world that we're not supposed to do, we pray and we ask the Lord to remove it from us. Okay? Because some people, the reason why it's taken so long for sanctification, some people enjoy sin. God will not take you away from your friends. He'll only take you away from your enemies. 
if you, you know, there's a lot of men who won't give up the spirit of lust because they don't want to stop chasing women. You know, those are things that, you know, can be conquered if we ask the Lord to take them away. But, but two that you cannot fool, one is God and the other is Satan. Both of them know when you mean business. When you are seeking the Lord for real, one will try and distract you and the other will, you know, hey, let's do this. You're ready now. But so sin itself can keep us from our prayers being answered. You know, so that can um, hinder a weapon from being built. First Thessalonians 5 and 15. Uh, it makes me think of um, who was a lost wife. Oh, yeah. Uh, when God delivered them, he told them not to look back. Mm -hmm. So it's the same thing for us that when we're delivered from our past, we're not to look at the things that we used to do. Amen. It's like putting new wine in a new bottle. We can't continue to do the same stuff. Exactly. Hey, well said, because, you know, that's the thing that a lot of churches are lying to people about, telling people mm -hmm. that, you know, well, we're just sinners mm -hmm. saved by grace. And this, you know, hey, you got to be careful how you word that, because a sinner, you're, you're not a sinner because of what you've done. You're a sinner because that's, that's who you are. So what we need is the nature in us changed in order to bring us into light, into pursuing Christ. Your nature needs to be changed. This is not a thing of willpower. You'll never get it done that way. It's a nature that has to take place. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, makes me think of one more thing. Yeah. Because uh, we can't do it by ourselves. That's why Christ. No, not at all. Christ um, is the one that does it. That's right. So in a way, connecting with what you're saying, like we owe God something. What we... We make it seem we think that he owes us, but it's it's not that way. We do owe God, mm -hmm. and what we owe him is death. We're mm -hmm. we're supposed to die, um, but That's we right. can't we can't even offer that. That's why Christ came down mm -hmm. to be that sacrifice. Mm -hmm. To be that. Thing. That's right, and and even dying can be denying your flesh. You know, dying out to the world. So that's another good example. Also, um, what we owe God. The only thing that God wants from you is a body. He'll take care of the rest because Christ will be formed in you. So I agree with James, you know, but Christ wants a body. Remember Cain and Abel? One gave him what he wanted to give him and the other gave him a sacrifice. He, hey, this is my choice. This is my best. The Lord is saying, you want to give me your best? Give me a body to work through. Give me a vessel. That's all I'm concerned about. You can save your religious works and all this other stuff. Give me a vessel fit for the master to use. That's what he's looking for. So, um, First Thessalonians. Uh, Did you say five? And one was of the earth. First Thessalonians, right? Five and verse uh, fifteen. What's that, sir? I said one was of the earth, Cain. He was the sensual one, and the other one, who was the shepherd, was the priest, and he's the one that offered up his. There you go. You know, one knew how to take care of the sheep. He had the nature of God. He gave the Lord his best. The best thing any parent, and I don't have kids, so I'm not like going to act like I'm speaking and this is what you can do, but the thing is, is that the best thing any parent can do for their child is offer them back to the Lord yep. because he knows what he's going to do from there, and the Lord will honor that. All right, uh, 1 Thessalonians 15, I mean 5 and 15, and it says, See that none render evil for evil unto any man, but ever follow that which is good, um, both among yourselves and to all men, rejoice evermore, pray without ceasing, and everything give thanks, for this is the will of God 
in Christ Jesus concerning you. That tells us there, we should be praying without ceasing. And does that mean pray and don't eat and, you know, go to bed? No. I mean, you are going to pray. That's a life of prayer, you know. And, and this is just checking us all. I don't, I myself don't do enough prayer. I need to pray more. When I am fasting, man, I pray all the time. Why? Because my spirit, man, is being awakened. The problem is your nasty, stinking flesh that don't want anything to do with God. It has to be subdued so we can be obedient to God. Start fasting and see how all of a sudden you want your Bible. You wonder what the Lord is thinking and what he wants. But when we're in the flesh, man, forget it. It's like you, you'll never do it. Because right. your flesh is so loud. Like, man, go to bed. <laughs> you know, why don't even waste your time with this? Let's go to Matthew 6. Let's hear from the master. Your proper prayer. is like those weeds you get in the yard and you spray stuff on them and it goes away for a little while but if you don't keep spraying the stuff on them what happens mm -hmm. it comes right back right and that's the thing you know when the flesh is taken over because your appetite for God diminishes mm -hmm. that's a you know that's a telltale sign alright Matthew 6 this is the Lord addressing a prayer Matthew 6 and 1 take heed that you do not your alms before men and be seen of them Otherwise, ye have no reward of your Father which is in heaven. So, you know, if you're going to do a good deed, you don't have channel, you know, 5 o'clock news out there watching you do something. Okay? You know, it's got to be from the heart. Therefore, when thou doest thine alms, do not sound a trumpet before thee, as the, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may uh, have glory of men. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward. And when thou do alms, like charity, let not thy left hand know what thy right hand doeth, uh, that thine alms may be in secret, and thy father which seeth in secret himself shall reward thee openly. So interesting point about the flesh. You know, the flesh is really responsible for a lot of these things too when it comes to um, bragging. You know, we've all had an apple out of this bag. We do something. Oh, man, I want you to know I was the only one praying and tears were coming down my eyes and everything. And, you know, the Lord is like, you got your reward. You know, you, you, were, you were loved of men. So there you go. The way you want from me. You know, so um, verse 5. And when thou prayest, thou shalt not be as the hypocrites are, for uh, they love to pray, standing on the synagogues, and on the corners of the streets, that um, they may be seen of men. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward. Now this doesn't mean if the Lord tells you to pray for somebody right there, you know, on the spot, someone's dealing with something that you can't do it. What he's saying is, if you're doing it because you want to be seen, then there's a problem. It's like sounding a trumpet. Exactly, you know. Like, oh, and then you start talking loud. Sir, do you want me to pray for you? You know, so now everybody's looking, what's going on? And then you, you know, Lord, do all these. I mean, you know, that's one thing I love about the eyes of Christ. He can see right through to your heart. There are people that can say the most sweet, loving messages. And what God is looking at is a heart in, in ice. You know, a heart in concrete 
surrounded by ice, you know, and jet black, you know, but the Lord can see all these things. So it takes really a change of heart because what he's been saying this whole time is it's got to be your nature. You know, your nature, you'll just do something. We're not supposed to be excited about, you know, the gifts, the heavenly gifts. I have to admit, this is where I make mistakes at times. The Lord will do something and I'll mention it, but I'm not mentioning it really to say things. I'm trying to say what the Lord has done. Like, guys, man, your God is real. I know because he's done it to me. So, but there are times, you know, I may walk away from a situation and I'm feeling, yeah, Lord, you know, you did a work and then I'm just, but we can't get overwhelmed by that because Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. Is Lazarus dead today? You know, so the point is, is it was for a moment in time to show the glory of the Lord. Right. So we're not supposed to feel one way or another about something. If the Lord says, lay hands on the sick and they're healed, let them be healed. You know, but it's not supposed to have one effect on you or another. All right, let me try that again to see if I really got it. It's up to the Lord, you know. Yeah. <laughs> I think it will be hard for somebody to do what they're supposed to do if they're inside their own feelings. If Bingo. Their own emotions, like taking their own glory, it would be hard for them to come out. Because mm -hmm. I mean, to some people, that's a good. It might feel nice, right? Uh, mm -hmm. But you gotta not be attached to that. You're right. To be you clean. can't get appended to it. You're right. Mm -hmm. No, totally. And I mean, this is where the devil tries to play on your pride. Mm -hmm. That's why they say you can't be a novice in things, or you'll get puffed up with pride. Because the Lord will, you know, lead you one way, and the devil will. Man, did you see that? The first thing we need to do is, you know, book a first-class ticket to Jerusalem, brother, because you're ready. You know who you remind me of? Nathan and Elijah. And you'll start believing this stuff, I'm telling you. And, I mean, you people go off course. And you stand there looking in the mirror like, man, yeah, he is right. I'm it's like, Lord, I made it. Man, the devil's like, he's got you. Exactly. Okay, so this is verse 6. But thou, when thou prayest, enter into thy closet... And when thou hast shut the door, pray to the Father which is in secret, and thy Father which seeth in secret shall reward thee openly. But when ye pray, use not vain repetitions as the heathen do, for, um, for they think that they shall be heard from their much speaking. There are people that do this, you know. They'll you know, pray and try and make it sound real good, and you said a lot of nothing. You know, because your flesh is involved. So you want to be taken on by the Spirit. What the Spirit utters to you, you, you pray about. Mm -hmm. And that's the thing. Our mouths are moving before our knees even hit the floor. We need to wait on what the Lord is telling us. Because that's the first thing people do. We get down and write in a repetition. And, you know, you're not saying anything. Let the Lord, you know, guide your words. Hey, I want you praying about these people. And then you, Lord, thank you for all you've done for me. Lord is like, well, I'm not speaking about you. What about these people? So the Lord wants us to make intercession for others, you know, because that, that prayer is powerful for him. You know, look at what it did for Peter. They interceded for Peter and a miracle was done. They weren't praying for themselves. Lord, don't let me be next. Lord, whatever you do, please don't let them send me to jail. This, see, that's, a, that's an immature prayer. But they were praying for Peter. They weren't thinking about self. Right. So, you know, that's something that we don't really need to stress this. You know, later on is the Our Father prayer, which pretty much says, love your Lord, your God, with all your heart, mind, and soul, and love your neighbor as yourself. So, you know, that's what the Our Father prayer is really about. Mm -hmm. 
You know, that's a perfect prayer. I don't care how short it is. All right, next up on the list. Where am I? If anyone has any questions for anything, uh, the next is the power of your testimony. This is a tough one because when you hear the word testimony, a lot of people will think testimony means, you know, you're just proclaiming the name of the Lord. When we get through with this little sec section right here, <laughs> I mean, this is going to check us all because the word for witness or testimony is the word marturia or marturio, which is where we get the word martyr. Okay, so that's something that we want to check through with ourselves. This is, again, a part of maturity. But I think a person that can only make this decision is a person whose mind has transcended time and space. Mm -hmm. And that's how we have to see things. We can't get caught up in this. we got to say, Lord, if I'm going tomorrow, let me be with you. But a real Christian will pray that way. Okay, because a false one will say, hey, look, man, I got a wife. I got kids. I got a girlfriend. I got, hey, man, don't. I got my last year of college. Don't do anything to me. So we're going to get some things out here. You know, this is, uh, like I said, tough. Let's go to Revelation 12. We'll start at verse 1. I mean, proclaiming the name of the Lord, absolutely. Jesus said, if you confess me, if you don't confess me before men... You I will not confess before my Father. So you want to speak the name of the Lord any time that you can to represent him. Because he's sure of that. You don't know me, I don't know you. I'm not your God, I have no people. So you don't want to be caught up in that. Because if I'm your Savior, then you're supposed to, you know, let the world know. Alright, Revelation 12. And this is how we got to use... Um, the testimony as a weapon, because it is a weapon. Now, Revelation 12, verse 1, and it says, And there appeared a great wonder in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun and the moon under her feet, and upon her head um, a crown of twelve stars. Christina um, told us about this last week, the twelve stars were the twelve tribes of Israel. You know, uh, so they're, they're basically speaking of Israel here. They're not speaking of Mary because a lot of people will tell you that this is Mary that's the queen of heaven. That's a lie. Mm -hmm. They're not speaking of Mary here. Remember, the children of Israel were a type of bride of Christ. You know, Israel, Jacob, was considered the woman. Remember, he was like God's woman, which is why his name was changed to Israel. Mm -hmm. So he was a type of wife of Christ or like, you know, God's woman. And she, uh, being with child, cried travailing in birth and pain to be delivered. Now remember, it took time for Jesus to come forth. They're not speaking of, and you know, the child was Christ, but what was Jesus of? The tribe of Judah. Okay, so he was an Israelite, which is why they're saying the woman, which is the tribe who has suffered persecution, slavery, all these different things waiting to be delivered. Who was who? Jesus Christ. Okay, so it says, and there appeared another wonder in heaven, and behold, a great red dragon, having seven heads and ten horns, and seven crowns upon his heads. Now, you know, this is the that system that was supposed to come. This is describing Satan and his system. Mm -hmm. And his tail drew a third part of the stars from heaven, and did cast them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman, 
which was ready to be delivered for to devour her child as soon as it was born. So remember this again, it's kind of like somewhat Mary here, but it's speaking about Jesus being of the tribe of the tribe of Israel. He was like the crown jewel. So remember it said at the birth of Jesus that as soon as he was born, Mary and Joseph had to flee the place of his birth because Herod was coming to kill all the firstborns or all the young men of Israel. So this is the dragon, which is Satan, because Herod would have been considered part of Rome, you know, which is this world now is our Rome, a revised Roman Empire. Right. America is just an extension of Rome, and so is Great Britain. So the point here is they're saying that this is the dragon that even tried to attack Jesus. Now, the dragon is Satan, but it was Satan's people and his system that went after Christ. Mm -hmm. Okay, so it was ready to devour the child as soon as it was born. And she brought forth a man-child. Now, this part is, you know, Israel and Mary. She brought forth a man-child uh, who was to rule all nations with a rod of iron, and her child was caught up unto God and to his throne. Okay, and then it says, And the woman fled into the wilderness, where she hath, excuse me, which, <laughs> which where she hath a place prepared of God, that they should feed her there a thousand two hundred and three score days. Now, you know, we went over that 42 months, three and a half years. Then it says, and there was a wonder, there was a war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon and the dragon and his angels fought and prevailed not. Neither was their place found any more in heaven. So there's going to come a point. I'm not sure if it's happened yet. I don't think it has. Satan is going to try one last attempt to make it into the heavens to fight for to win. This is what the NASA program is for. This is what they have all that space stuff. They, I know they tell people one thing. We're looking for a meteorite. You know, any threat to Earth. That rock is Christ. We know that from Daniel 2. Mm -hmm. And we know that from, um, what is it? First uh, Thessalonians chapter 3. Right. When it says, just when they think they have peace and safety, strike. Mm -hmm. You know, there comes Christ. Because yeah. he's going to smoke the bottom of the image. So and he's, he's also being... Uh, He's, he is the, the corner, the rock, the stone. That's right. He's the stone, so it all makes sense. Yeah, so that's what they're waiting for. That's the only reason for NASA. They think with their primitive weapons that they're going to stop the Lord of glory. Good luck with that one. Why not just repent? You know? <laughs> but they want to hold on and fight because Satan does have a seed in this earth. Yep. All right. Um, and the great dragon, okay, and prevailed not, neither was their place found anymore in heaven. And the great dragon was cast down, that old serpent called the devil and Satan, which deceiveth the whole world. He was cast out into the into the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. Now Satan rules this realm that we call, you know, uh, he is the ruler of this world. Jesus even made that clear. But one of the issues here is that veil is about to be torn back. In the last days, you are going to see the spirit side is going to cross over. Okay, so I'm just telling everybody that so you know. This is why we need to be built up spiritually. This is why Hollywood invests so much money yep. on showing you all this supernatural stuff because it's conditioning you for a time that is inevitable. That's why they make these movies where they say portals yeah. to the other side. Mm -hmm. yeah. Oh, yeah. That's what it's all about. Verse 10. And I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now has come salvation and strength 
and the kingdom of God. Because remember, Jesus died. You know, he resurrected. That won the war. You know, he, he was faithful unto death. So now they're saying, now has come salvation and strength in the kingdom of God and the power of his Christ. For the accuser of our brethren is cast down, which accused them before our God day and night. So this little wimp, you know, whenever he would get you to sin, and then he'd run before the Father. See, judge him. Look what he's doing. That's why we got to think twice about our temptation, because it's not just you. We have a real enemy here that's telling you, man, just go ahead, man. Don't even worry about it. And then the first thing he has is up. Look at what they're doing. You know, so Jesus kind of got in the way of that. You know, so the devil can't really accuse you anymore. Because Jesus is your special prosecutor. That's like us going to court, you know, and he's a surprise witness and everything. And, you know, the devil is, um, he's an astute attorney. He's got everybody you ever sinned with that witnessed your sin. And he's there in his Brooks Brothers suit just, you know, yeah, and uh, your honor, clearly, you can see that, you know, this is everything that he's got. And then here, when the father's about to come down with that gavel, because you're guilty. Everyone's seen you do it. Here's this man in the back of the car. Hold up. Oh, whoa, whoa. Hold up a second. Can I speak before you, you know, pronounce sentence? And they'll say, well, you know, yeah, go ahead. You may approach the bench. Hey, I paid this man's debt 2,000 years ago. That's right. Okay? If you charge him again, that will be double jeopardy. So he's with me. Now, it would be dumb of us to say, no, nah, man, I got it. <laughs> You know, just accept Jesus Christ and, and, you know, the Father will say, oh, he's with you? Case dismissed. That's all this is. But people want to make it like it's just so hard. Yep. All right. So Jesus, he now intervenes for his, you know, that believe in him. Look at verse 11. And they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb, which we covered, and the word of their testimony, and they loved not their lives unto the death. Well, we got to understand what happened to Stephen, what happened to Jesus, what happened to all of them. The word of your testimony, I will not deny Christ until I go. That is victory. That is not defeat. But it takes a mature Christian to understand that. They overcame by the blood of Jesus, the word of their testimony. And they had to on that guillotine, hey, God or Baal. And you, hey, Jesus Christ is Lord. The devil can't do anything with you then. You know, so now it's, oh, boy. You know, because you're going home. And that's how we have to recognize this. We can't have fear of this stuff. We have to have enough faith to believe there is a real God that has a real heaven for the believer and a real hell for the unbeliever. And that God's kingdom is over Satan's kingdom. We've got to believe that no matter what we're seeing play out here on earth. That's right. All right. So, I mean, that word for testimony is martyria. That means witness. Okay. So that is the witness or your testimony of Jesus Christ. All right, we'll go to um, uh, Revelation 6 and 9. But speaking up for Christ also, you know, it does us some good. Now, this is the four horsemen. Remember, one of them comes with a bow kind of looking like what they said Jesus would look like. It's not him. Matter of fact, I'll just read it. And I, let's start at one. And when I saw... Oh, and I saw when the Lamb opened one of the seals, and I heard it as it were, the noise of thunder, 
one of the four beasts saying, Come and see. And I saw, and behold, a white horse. And he that sat on him had a bow, and a crown was given unto him. And he went forth conquering unto, and unto conquer. See, now Derek Prince believes that this is Jesus, and he's got to stay ahead of the other horses. Derek Prince is wrong. I don't care with all his, with all his education. I like the man. But this is why we have to read the Bible for ourselves. Because, you know, this is the Antichrist that was sent in that would be like Christ. But remember, Jesus doesn't fight with a bow. Jesus uses the sword of his mouth. He doesn't use carnal weapons. So it said he was sent forth conquering and to conquer. Look at three. And when he had opened the second seal and heard a beast say, come and see. And there went out another horse that was red and power was given to him that sat thereon to take peace from the earth and that they should kill one another and there was given unto him a great sword so this is a spirit in the earth you know i told everybody you know wars are not fought carnally they begin first in the spirit read daniel 10 in your spare time you see when the prince of persia and the prince of grecia came in that even though the fight was going on between Alexander the Great and Persia, which was considered the, bag, the battle of Gargamela, that it already took place in the heavens that the prince of Persia would be dethroned by the prince of Grecia. Mm -hmm. So that decided the war. Alexander was not a great military leader. Okay, it had already been decided in the spirit, which made things play out in the flesh. Right. You know, I'm not a fan of anybody but Christ, so they can email me on this. I could care less. All right, and when he opened the third seal, I heard a beast, a third beast say, Come and see. And I beheld, and lo, a black horse. And he that sat on him had a pair of balances in his hand. And I heard a voice of the midst of the four beasts say, A measure of wheat for a penny, and three measures of barley for a penny, and see thou hurt not the oil and the wine. And when he had um, opened, well, I'll just you know, make a point real quick. This is the beast that's riding right now. This is the economic rider. When it says a measure of, pea, of, of wheat and three measures of barley, they're talking about inflation. What it would take is a day's wages to just eat one thing. Pretty soon it'll be a week's wages just to get a loaf of bread. Mm -hmm. This is the rider that's riding right now, but it says, see that thou hurt not the oil and the wine. You know, so the people... The people of God will be taken care of. You going to say something? Yeah. yeah. Uh, back when you were reading verse 1, you were saying that you don't think that was Christ. Um, yeah. Yeah, I, I can understand that too because Christ was never, um, it's n never a sim symbolism of a beast. He That's was, right. He was being called the Perfect. son of man. Yeah. So, and to my understanding, the beast is also like uh, the system. Mm -hmm. how the system works. Oh, yeah. And, and religion, like uh, world world religion. Absolutely. Religion. And of the, yeah, like of the beast, because the Antichrist, like since Jesus was God in the flesh, the Antichrist is going to be Satan incarnate. So you guys can only imagine what brutality is going to come there among us. Mm -hmm. All right, you're going to say I something? I was just going to piggyback off that because it yeah. says clear as day right here. Four beasts. Um, I'll just read it. Right. The first seal initiates the worldwide conquest by the false Messiah and the Antichrist. Exactly. So, so I don't know where Derek Prince got there, but he said he felt that that horse, I don't know if he changed his opinion before he died, but he said that white horse would have to stay ahead of the other horses. Like, in other words, keeping it from happening, which is inevitable. So 
You guys can look it up for yourself. I'm not going to lie on Derek Prince. I like him, but right. he's an error. Also, um, you were talking about, uh, what was it, first six? Yeah. Um, and the inflation part. Oh, that's yeah. happening right now. Oh, yeah. And it's All going now. to get worse. So mm -hmm. these are. this is talking about the future. This economy, I'm telling you, all it takes is just a little, you know, a little nudge, and it's going to bust at the seams. Verse yeah, 7. Uh, one more thing. Yeah. When you said it, it takes just a little nudge, and it's going to burst. I, I can't, I don't know what scripture it is, but it talks about how God, uh, the Father, is holding back the four winds from the earth. Mm -hmm. The four winds, from my understanding, is m maybe... Judgment. Yeah, judgment oh, or yeah. war. Mm-hmm. So, uh, just like you said, just a little nudge whenever God is ready. It's that's right. Everything. And that's why if we Christians were doing our part, we could kind of, I'm not going to say prolong this thing, because a real Christian doesn't even want to live here. This isn't your home. Your home's in heaven. You know, Gary Price even goes farther to say, you know what, I wish they would just take a, an atomic bomb and just blow this thing up, because I'm ready to get out of here. But when you love the Lord, you hate the world. You really do. You see the injustice. You see the usury that banks do. You see all the lying and programming and, and um, indoctrination that goes on in schools. You see the, the children being taken over by pornography and all this. You see the abortion clinics full of people daily. You know, this stuff ought to make you sick if you're a child of God. You know that there's got to be more to it than this. All right, so it says, um, verse 8, And I looked and behold, well, I'll read 7, and when he had opened the fourth seal and heard a, a voice of the fourth beast say, come and see. Actually, that beast, um, I believe, might be a seraphim or cherubim. I didn't think about that because remember they said before they were covered in eyes. You know, so maybe they're actually workers of the Lord, like opening something. Like they're, they're guiding. John is following this beast. So, you know, there are four Bs showing four different things mm -hmm. that, I'm, that I'm seeing there. I just thought about that. Um, let's see. Where am I? Oh, hey, and I looked and behold a pale horse. But we're still correct about the, you know, the Antichrist. And I looked and behold a pale horse, and his name that sat on him was Death, and hell followed after him. And power was given unto them over the fourth part of the earth to kill with sword and with hunger and death and with the beast of the earth. And when he had opened the fifth seal, so this is death, which is the end result of, man, if you guys knew the stuff that I, um, I know, I mean, you would cling to your God for real, you know, because these people are talking about, look up the Georgia Guidestones where they said reduced the population to a half billion, 500 million, you know. So there's 7.4 billion people in the world now. So 90% of this population has to go. That's how sick these people are. And this is why they'll tell you, oh, well, you see, if we don't do this, then there's global warming. That was the whole global warming lie, was to get people on board for their own destruction. No, we've got to cleanse the earth, and there's that Mother Earth worship too. Jesus said, or the Father said, be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth. Don't ever believe the lie that there's not enough food. There's plenty of food. Look at what they throw out every day in supermarkets. You know, fast food places, there's plenty of food, but there's an elite people in the world that want to hang on to this stuff because they feel like we're undesirables. We're useless eaters. So they're the ones that want to stop up things and, and destroy man because they are the children of Satan. 
just thought of something real quick. Yeah. You know how, well, when I worked at Target years ago, they used to, um, every week we'd have to go to the perishable items mm-hmm. and like breads and whatnot. And, uh, first it was a good thing, but I just thought the reason why they have an expiration date on it is for that reason right there to say that they're, you know, food can't go past a certain limit. Well, I'm sure if you took care of it properly, it could go a lot longer. A long time. Yeah. They have vaults that can hold a lot of food. Verse 9, and it says, and when, and I said all that to say this, <laughs> and when he had uh, opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar of souls of them that were slain for the word of God and for the testimony which they held. And they cried with a loud voice, saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true, uh, dost thou not judge and avenge our blood on them that dwell on the earth? And white robes were given unto every one of them, and it was said unto them that they should rest yet for a little season until their fellow servants also and their brethren that should be killed as they were should be fulfilled. Now, you guys are reading this yourselves. See, this is why Joe Osteen can't tell me I'm having my best life now. Because with all this <laughs> stuff going on, you know, this is the power of testimony. Right. You know, this is this is what it's all about. And we have to get that settled in our hearts and minds right now. That if we're going to do something, it's going to be for the Lord. Exactly. You know, we got to detach ourselves because if you love this world, you will not serve God. We already know about Stephen. We've covered that enough times. So let's go to um, Revelation 13, and um, we may as well just finish this up. Um, We're going to go to... uh, Let's get started, verse 4. 13 and 4. Now, you know this is the system of the Antichrist, but this is also the Antichrist and the false prophet, these two beasts. And then it says, And they worshiped the dragon which gave power unto the beast. The dragon is Satan, the beast is the Antichrist, and his system. And they worshiped the beast, saying, Who was like unto the beast? Who was able to make war with him? So this guy is going to think he's all-powerful. And there was given unto him a mouth speaking great things, and blasphemies, and power was given unto him to continue forty and two months, which is three and a half years. Now, you know, look at this beast system. You don't think you're in? Go on TV and see if you can find anything good said about Jesus. Mm-hmm. Look at how this world mocks him. You don't think we're in the beast system? They'll even tell you, man, Jesus is old, man. You got to get into all this other stuff. You are God yourself. Don't worry about him. So this is what they're talking about. Then it says in verse uh, 6, And he opened his mouth and blasphemy against God, to blaspheme his name and his tabernacle, which is us, and them that dwell in heaven. And it was given unto him to make war with the saints and to overcome them, and power was given him over all kindreds and tongues and nations. And all that dwell upon the earth shall worship him, whose names are not written in the book of life, slain from the foundation of the world. So the point I brought up is this guy is going to have all control. It says clearly in verse 7, it was given unto him to make war with the saints and to overcome them. Now, there are going to be people here, of course, for the Lord to save because 
if everybody died, then no flesh would be saved. Jesus said in Matthew 24 that he would stop it just before. Shorten so there will be people. What's that? Shorten, like when he said shortening. Shorten the days, right. So there will be people that will that will get through this. But for those who died for the name of Christ, I mean, in all seriousness, who cares? You know, this is, hey, I want to make it in. Right. You know, that's what that's what my concern is. And, and you're going to see the coming of the Lord anyway if you were to lose your life for Christ. Because he said the dead in Christ shall rise first. That's in First uh, Thessalonians chapter 4. Mm -hmm. Every eye will see him. Okay, so we've got to live for God. And the only way to believe this is to extract ourselves from the world. All right, Revelation 17, and we'll just um, move on. But the reason I've stressed this point so much is because, you know, your testimony is a big deal. There are people that want to believe in a pre-trip rapture. I mean, they're kidding themselves. All right, Revelation 17 and 1, and it says, And there came uh, one of the seven angels, which had uh, the seven vials, and talked with me, saying unto me, Come hither, I will shew thee the judgment of the great whore that sitteth on many waters. Now, some people speculate that's America, you know, Great Britain, I think it's Rome, honestly, you know, that is spread out, America being one of them. Uh, with whom the kings of the earth have committed fornication, and the inhabitants of the earth have been made drunk with the wine of her fornication. Everybody's drunk with that spirit, you know. Um, verse 3, So he carried me away in the spirit into the wilderness, and I saw a woman sit upon a scarlet-colored beast, full of names of blasphemy, having seven heads and ten horns. Now that woman, of course, is religion that's sitting, that's riding on the beast. Okay, those two again. You know, that that the Christian's biggest problem, yeah. government and religion. Yeah. Um, I, I heard the same thing in terms of uh, where it says, so he carried me away in the spirit into the wilderness, and I saw a woman sit upon a scarlet colored beast. Mm -hmm. um, I heard the same thing of um, Catholicism mm -hmm. uh, being depicted as that because they always wear like a scarlet uh, coloring. Yeah. Um, or they have these um, certain symbolisms. Mm -hmm. Um, and Catholicism is the religious Roman system. Mm -hmm. Presidents go over and kiss the Pope's ring. Okay, so this guy, you know, that's why I can't believe that they're Christians. Because I know some of them are trapped in it. Some of them may really love Christ, but they're trapped in a false system. Because God said friendship with the world is the enemy of God. So why is the president going over kissing your ring if this is Satan's kingdom? That doesn't make much sense. And then it exalts Mary along with Jesus or beyond. I mean, you know. But also the government bowing down to the, the one world religious system. Exactly. That's right. Um, verse 4. And it says, And the woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet color and decked with gold and precious stones and pearls having a golden cup in her hand full of abominations and filthiness of her fornication. Mm -hmm. So it tells you right there that, you know, that's how they dress. You know, they're purple and scarlet colors. You look at the cardinals. You look at the pope. The, the pope drinks from a golden mm -hmm. chalice. I don't know who else does, but, you know, this is what they're talking about. Verse 5, and upon her forehead was the name written, Mystery, Babylon the Great, the mother of harlots and abominations of the earth. The reason why it's called Mystery Babylon is because even the Roman Empire comes out of the Babylonian system. 
Okay, that is the Babylonian system that they all do. The Pope's mitre, you know, the, the little wafer that, that, that they eat and everything. All that stuff symbolizes, goes right back to um, Babylon. And I saw the woman drunken with the blood of the saints and with the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. And when I saw her, I wondered with great admiration. And the angel said unto me, Where didst, where didst thou marvel? I will tell thee the mystery of the woman and of the beast that carrieth her, uh, which hath the, uh, seven heads and ten horns. I don't want to go through all of this, um, but it's, it's talking about the world system, seven empires from the past. You know, one was before and then came. But I want to go down to verse 14, and it says, These shall make war with the Lamb, and the Lamb shall overcome them, for he is Lord of lords and King of kings. And they that are with him are called, chosen, and faithful. You know, so that's something we got to make clear of what we were talking about. Your testimony, you are called. The Bible says many are called, few are chosen. You want to be called. You want to be chosen because you were obedient and you must remain faithful unto death. So the witness of Jesus Christ, man, is a, is a big thing. The witness of your testimony. It can even win other people to Christ. You know, knowing what you've been in, that's another witness of your testimony. Hey, man, I was on drugs. I've been there. I wasn't on drugs, but I'm just saying people that were, and say, hey, man, I've been there. That somehow makes people look at you like, you know. Relatable. Right. You know, like, okay, so you know, so maybe I should be listening to you. So that's another part of your testimony. All right, the power of the Holy Ghost expressed through the gifts of the Spirit. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Yeah, we're going to zip through these because I know I wasted a lot of time on other stuff. But 1 Corinthians chapter 12 talks about the spiritual gifts. Anyone have any questions? Anything they want to add? Is this the next weapon? Yes. Yeah, did you get the power of your testimony? Yes. Okay, so this is six. six. The power of the Holy Ghost expressed through the gifts of the Spirit. Now, we need this. Anybody tell you the gifts are done away with? And get out of that church. I'm telling you, because we need to be equipped to do the things of God. Alright, so it says, Now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I would not have you ignorant. Ye know that ye were Gentiles carried away unto these dumb idols, even as ye were led. Wherefore I give you to understand that no man speaking by the Spirit of God calleth Jesus accursed, and that no man can say that Jesus is the Lord, uh, but by the Holy Ghost. Now there are diversities of gifts, but the same Spirit. So no one can tell you that they have any of these gifts if it's not by the Spirit of God. If someone tells you, yeah, I got the gift of healing, but, you know, I, I look to myself and I speak to my spirit God, that's not a person of God, okay? They're being healed by Satan. Verse of 5, and there are differences of administrations, but the same Lord. And there are diversities of operations, but it is the same God which worketh all in all. But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to every man to profit withal. Uh, for, the, for to one is given by the Spirit of the word of wisdom, and another the word of knowledge by the same Spirit. Spirit of knowledge is amazing because I could be sitting in this room, somebody could have a headache or some, some bad injury, and no one told me. 
but the Lord, the Spirit of God will tell me, and I'll say, there's someone in this room that's got a neck problem, you know, and the Holy Ghost will lead you right over to the person, and, you know, they'll be healed in the name of the Lord. But the um, Spirit of Wisdom tells you what to do with the situation. Mm -hmm. So the word of knowledge is just amazing because it just comes from God. You know things that you wouldn't be told, okay? It wouldn't be obvious. And then there is the, the wisdom to tell you, this is how you deal with it. And that would be divine wisdom, not ours. Not, oh, when I was in that situation. No, it, it would be the words from God that you would be repeating. All right, so it says, uh, the next one, to another faith by the same spirit, to another gifts of healing of the spirit. These two go hand in hand. The gift of faith would be supernatural faith. That's a level, man, everyone wants to get to. Walk on water, walk through walls. You know, put up the bread in the air, you know, and thank you, Father. And, you know, drop down 5,000 loaves. You know, you want the gift of faith that would make you believe beyond what anyone would believe because it would be God's of faith. And then there is the gift of healing. It takes faith. Now, there are nine fruit of the Spirit, which we read in uh, Galatians 5, and then there are nine gifts of the Spirit. And both of those two things, there is faith. There is the, the fruit of faith, and then there is the gift of faith, which tells you that all both sides of these, the gifts and the uh, fruit, are powered by faith. That's the common denominator. Okay? Um, well, you know, you have to believe to heal. The Holy Ghost will lead you, hey, put hands on this person. Uh, to another, the working of miracles, to another, prophecy. Working of miracles, again, you know, the loaves and fishes, Jesus rebuked the winds. You know, you can just draw your own conclusion on miracles, all right? And the other is, um, you know, the prophecy. The Lord will give you foreknowledge as to what's going on, which is what this Bible is bathed in. Oh, yeah. And then it says, to another discerning of spirits, to another diverse kinds of tongues. Okay, discerning of spirits would be, you know, people like if you were to sit in the church and you got this pastor making you happy, and he's bringing up all this scripture, and you're like, man, amen. And then he messes around and says one thing, and you're like, oh, wait a minute. You know, that didn't sound right. The Holy Ghost will say, hey, examine this. Then they'll say something else, and you're like, yeah, I'm gone. You know, because you are given discernment. Even when a person comes to maybe shake your hand, and they may have a knife in this hand. I'm, not, I'm just using extreme cases. But the Lord will tell you, don't shake his hand. Uh-uh, don't eat that food. You know, there's something in that food that's going to make you sick. So these are things that you want the Lord's um, discernment to be able to read past what is carnal. Exactly. Okay? Um, you know, diversion, diverse kinds of tongues. The Lord will have you speak to people in languages that you never, ever learned. All right? You might be in Spain, and the Lord may tell you, hey, I want you to speak to this person. He will give you, it, it's supernatural. He'll give you the speech to deliver his word. All right. So um, another interpretation of tongues. The Lord may inspire someone here to speak in another tongue. It would take someone who understood what was being said to say, oh, the Lord wants us to do this. Mm -hmm. Now, a lot of people fake this. You know, you got people in churches. And then they, oh, yeah, um, he means this. No, I mean, you know, it's got to be inspired by the Lord, you know. Right. And Lord knows I'm not making fun of the Holy Ghost, but it's got to be real. And Jim Belushi made that mistake on Saturday Night Live, making fun of the Holy Ghost. And he dropped dead, I think, what, a month later? Mm -hmm. 
We don't want to play around with that. Nope. But all these worketh that one and the same spirit, dividing to every man severally as he will. So uh, for, for as the body is uh, one and have many members, and all the members of that one body, being many or one body, uh, so also is Christ. So, you know, the gifts are going to show through different people, but that's a complete ministry. Matthew 10 and 1. And if you can, at the same time, get um, 1 Corinthians chapter 2. And then we can move on. Now remember, Jesus fasted for 40 days. He came back in power of the Spirit. Jesus didn't perform one miracle until that Holy Ghost fell on him. So that's important. And when he had called unto him his 12 disciples, he gave them power against unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal all manner of sickness and all manner of disease. Quick points. This power means authority, but the point is, is they did have the gift of healing here, and they had the ability to cast out devils, okay? Because it takes the authority of God to cast out devils. You can't cast out any devil that you yourself have not conquered. If I'm struggling with a spirit of lust, how am I going to speak to a spirit of lust telling him, get out of here? They'll look at you and laugh in your face. Or if you were someone that, you know, conquered lying or conquering this and that, these are things that, you know, if you overcome these things, you know, you'll have authority over them in Jesus Christ. Right. So the point I'm making here is for these 12 disciples, the Lord equipped them. He didn't just send them out. He equipped them with what they needed, what they would encounter. This is a complete Christian is having the spirit of God and the power of God. So it's not just being a believer. You have to be a believer with some power. Let's go to 2 Corinthians 2. Everyone's there, right? Yep. All right. Except me. Right. Paul is getting ready to say that. Jesus said, I gave you power to tread over serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall by any means hurt you. So he gave them authority and power. That two words in the Greek for power, one is exousia and the other is dunamis. Okay, you need both of them. Okay, exousia is authority. Dunamis means is where we get the word dynamite. It's God power, you know, power. All right, 1 Corinthians 2 and verse 1, and it says, And I, brethren, when I came to you, came not with excellency of speech or of wisdom, declaring unto you the testimony of God. For I determined not to know anything among you save Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. And my speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power. So that tells you there, it's not just enticing words. Anyone can get up here and speak and, you know, great oratory and this and that. Man, do you have power? Mm -hmm. I got cancer. Can you fix it? You know, this is, this is what it's about. Because Jesus said, if you believe not on me, at least believe the, the miracles, the things that God does. Because he told Nicodemus, no man can do these miracles except God be with him. That's what Nicodemus said. 
So what, what signed off on who Jesus was? The power. I mean, of course, his great wisdom, you can't overlook that. But he had the power, inspired by God, not of Satan, because Satan has power too. You got Indian gurus who can levitate in chairs. They can walk through walls. They can sit in the back seat of a car and drive blindfolded. So the devil has power too. But this is why you need the discernment of spirits to recognize what's what in Christ. Okay? So we can get off of this, but I just wanted to talk about the gifts, you know, to make those points clear. The, le the next is the name of Jesus. This is weapon seven. Let's go to Philippians 2 and 1. I like how the name of Jesus came at number seven. <laughs> yeah, right? I was looking at that too. Right, Philippians 2 and 1. But, you know, all of these are weapons, everything that we name. Man, one thing the devil, he may not respect you, but one thing he does respect is the power of God. Right. And if you are walking in the spirit and power of God, trust me, demons will scream out and move before you even show up. They fear someone with power because that's a manifested son of God. All right, Philippians 2 and verse 1, and it says, If there be therefore any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship, of the Spirit, if any bowels and mercies, fulfill ye my joy, uh, that that ye be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Let nothing be done through strife or vain glory, but in lowliness of mind, um, let each esteem another better than themselves. This is what James was covering, and I agree. Verse 4. Look not every man on his own things, but let every man, or but every man also on the things of others. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. So what is this telling you? Love your Lord with all your heart, mind, and soul. Love your enemy as yourself. And of course, the enemy tonight is bringing more distraction. Mm -hmm. Verse 6, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him a form, the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of men. So Jesus came of no reputation. He thought it not robbery, but be, but he was equal to God. So it wasn't robbery, you know, to kill him. If he would have come and said, hey, guys, I'm God, that wasn't his mission. But he would have been well within his rights to do so. But he came lowly as a servant. You know, of no reputation to help redeem man. Mm -hmm. All right, verse 8. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Wherefore God also hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of things in heaven and things in the earth, uh, the things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Mm -hmm. So when you call in Jesus Lord and bow before Jesus, you're not offending the Father. That's the joy of the Father, like, that's right, you know, and this is my boy, you know. So you're not turning one against the other. But the Jehovah Witnesses believe, like we, we covered, they believe that people, Christians, put too much um, emphasis on Jesus 
and they should be focused on the Father. Well, you know, the Holy Ghost came to speak of Jesus Christ in no other name. So Jesus Christ, Jesus said, if you have me, you have the Father. Remember, he said, my Father will love you because you have loved me. Mm -hmm. The Father doesn't deal with man. It's only through Jesus Christ that the Father deals with us. Christ formed in us, like we talked about. All right, um, one more quick point, and then we'll move on. I mean, you guys can write some of this down. Acts 8, I mean, Acts 2, 37 and 38, they said, uh, Peter said, you confess before Christ, you know, believe in Jesus Christ and for the remission of sins. All right, there's Acts um, 4, uh, 26 and 31. And then there's 1 Corinthians 6, you know, 9 and 11, which tells us about those who will not inherit the kingdom of God. You know, I'm outside of Christ. And then there's John 14, 6. We all know Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. No man can come into the Father but by Jesus Christ. So his name signs off on, on them all. So let's go to Acts uh, 4 and 10, and then we'll move on to the last one. And people don't even know the name Jesus means Jehovah is salvation. <laughs> Where are we going again? Yeah. Acts um, 4 and 10. Man, Tuesday night study, I'm probably more excited about than any other study I've ever done. I'm so excited about Tuesday. It's going to be slightly different than how we've done things. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. I mean, we're going to still stick to the to the whole point, but you know, we're going to uplift the name of Jesus big time. All right. So that's what I'm really um, excited about. So, all right, Acts 4 and 10, and it says, Be it known unto you all and to all the people of Israel, that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom ye crucified, whom God raised from the dead, even by him doth this man stand here before you hold. This is the stone which was set at naught uh, of you builders, which is become the head of the corner. Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby uh, we must be saved. You know, this thing even transcends stuff that the Bible doesn't cover. I was looking at the age of deceit. They were talking about, they were going over alien abductions. And they were talking about that they have been they have learned from other people i don't believe they're aliens i believe they're fallen angels and demons but the point is they were told that there's no way to stop an alien abduction when people have been abducted they lay there lifeless and hopeless and you know these things get real close to you and they smell like god knows what because you know they said they have no um what do you call it no bowel movements no, or it comes out of their skin right it comes out of the pores of their skin Oh, yeah, but, you know, it's like they, um, yeah, they, they stink really bad, but they claim that people have laid there helpless. Well, there was one guy who was involved with that movement, found the Lord, was saved, redeemed. Um, the Lord gave him information on someone who actually said, calling on the name of Jesus Christ, stop these abductions, which exposed the demons for who they really were. So this guy went to scientists and said, hey, um, I discovered something, and I just want to know if you guys know about this. And he said, um, I've, I've been told by people who are Christians, or they would sing a Christian hymn or call on the name of Jesus, and these abductions would stop. And the scientist said to him, can we go off the record? And he said, yeah, you know, like, yeah, what's up? So they said, 
well, we knew about this, but we didn't know what to think of it because we didn't want to cross the lines with religion and science, they claim. So they didn't know what to think of it, so they buried it and they didn't tell anyone about it. And um, he said, you know, I would have been okay with them saying they didn't know what to think of it because that was an honest answer. But he said, you know, that the fact that they tried to get rid of it just proves it was a cover-up. They didn't want this getting out because, man, you mean to say even aliens are afraid of Jesus? But they're demons. Demons tremble at the name of Jesus. Right. Because they know he's the one that, can, you know, is going to judge them. So, I mean, the name of Jesus is above all things. If you get full of the Spirit and you lay hands on someone in faith, always in the name of Jesus, always in the will of Jesus, because he's the only healer. It's not Sean Buck, it ain't Gary Price, it's not all those guys. It's Jesus in them that does the healing. Okay? All right, last one, fasting. The one that everybody doesn't like. Let's go to Matthew uh, 17 and 14. Fasting is a huge weapon. Yes, it is. Think about it. Jesus fasted for 40 days. You know, he came, he returned in power of the Spirit. I'm not saying that anyone has to do that. I'm just saying live a life of fasting at least once a week. You know, it'll, it'll increase. But fast, I mean, maybe you'll have to go on an intense fast, but... It'll do. It'll work wonders for sure. All right, Matthew 17 and 14, and it says, And when they were come to the multitude, there came to him a certain man, kneeling down to him and saying, Lord, have mercy on my son, for he is a lunatic. Lunatic means moonstruck, and even other translations, they translate that as epileptic. Um, and are sore vexed, for oftentimes... He falleth into the fire, and oft times uh, the water. And I brought him to thy disciples, and they could not cure him. Um, you know, because I, be, I better clear this up as far as epilepsy. I believe it's demonic. Okay, I'm not saying anyone did anything to do it. But John Todd, who was an epileptic himself that was into the occult for years, got his life saved, turned to the Lord, said that his brain waves still read that he's an epileptic. But when he came to Jesus Christ, that the attacks stopped. Because he's talking about here, a demon trying to throw him in the water and then the fire. If you notice when someone is epileptic and they have an attack, they have no control over their muscles and their tongue goes down their throat. And then they're on the ground flailing around. You know, so, it, you know, I believe it's a demonic attack. I'm not saying the person's demonic, but these things can be canceled in Jesus Christ. All right, so uh, verse 17, and it says, And Jesus answered and said, O faithless and perverse generation, how long, shall I how long shall I be with you? How long shall I suffer you? Bring him here to me. So Jesus is calling him faithless and perverse. See, everyone thinks they know what God would say. Man, you got to get into the word and not get wound up in your emotions. Verse 18, and Jesus rebuked the devil, and he departed out of him, and the child was cured from that very hour. And, and then came the disciples to Jesus apart and said, Why could not we cast him out? And Jesus said unto them, Because of your unbelief. For verily I say unto you, If you have faith as a grain of mustard seed, 
Ye shall say unto the mountain, Remove hence to another place, and it shall be removed. And neither shall uh, and nothing shall be impossible unto you. How be it? This kind goeth not out but by prayer and fasting. So we understand here that this was a higher level demon that this child had, that it took fasting and prayer to remove that demon because they both strengthened your spirit, man. Right. Fasting subdues the flesh, which makes the spirit grow. Like we read last week, Peter was walking by people and they were being healed because his spirit, man, just became so big. So you want to pray and fast because there's some things that cannot be tackled outside of this. And casting out demons is one of them. You know, when you fast and you deny self, you can cast out demons. When you don't, the demons will sit right there because you've got too much flesh. Mm -hmm. Now, there are people like Henry Groover and others that have done intense fast that these guys never lost the ability to fast because they paid the price. Henry Groover went 11 days by a river no food, no water. He planned to go 21 days, but his friend came to grab him and threw him in the car and said, you know, Henry, you're going to die. And he took him away. But Henry never lost the ability to cast out demons. So that tells you there that, you know, the Lord told him, Henry, it's over with. Now let's go. <laughs> you know, Henry might have died. So the, the point is, is that he paid the price for a spirit man. A.A. A. Allen spent three weeks in his closet praying before the Lord. I don't know where he went to the bathroom or whatever. I don't know about that. But he said that the lights became so bright in his um in his um closet. closet that he thought it was the hallway light, but really it was the presence of God that came unto him. Now Schombach will tell you because he was um A. A. Allen, he's A. A. Allen's protege, but he said that man, that guy casted out more demons on accident that most people do on purpose. Okay, so, you know, these are things, that's an intense fast, but all I'm saying is be led by the Lord to do so. Right. Fasting is a great way to build your spirit, man. Because when you're fasting, all you can think about is food. Let's go to Daniel 6. You don't even <laughs> think about anything else. <laughs> Not a little inside joke or... No, I remember last time she valued food for oh, yeah. family. Yeah, but she didn't know she was comparing it to you. I know. So what do you love? Food. That's why she's laughing though. And I said, well, Christina, good to know you're under a plate of spaghetti. <laughs> yeah. Where are we going? Daniel 6. Daniel 6. Now, um, quick point. Daniel is a great example for us all because I don't care who this country is sold to or what happens in America. Daniel been through three captivities. The children of Israel were bound. They went into Babylon. Babylon was taken over by Persia. Daniel was still sitting good with the Lord. People tried to persecute him. They tried to do things to him. And um, Daniel, you know, they didn't like Daniel in this part because he became... He began to have favor with Cyrus, who was the king of Persia. So the people of the Persians didn't like it, so they wanted to try and throw some dirt on Daniel because they knew Daniel was praying to, their, to his God and not worshiping theirs. So their problem came with Daniel where we want to, you know, find some law that will let Daniel get in prison, you know, so they can go, you know, they can rule over him. We'll start at 12. 
Daniel 6 and 12, and it says, Then they came near and spake before the king concerning the king's decree. Hast thou not signed the decree that every man that shall ask a petition of any god or man within thirty days, save O thee, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions? The king answered and said, um, The thing is true according to the law of the Medes and Persians, which altereth not. So, you know, this is why they're coming up with laws about homosexuality and different things. The devil wants to make sure that you don't mention the word of God. This is his fight. So, you see, the devil doesn't change his tactics. He's like that magician. Magician doesn't change his tricks. He finds a new audience to do those things in front of. All right, so, um, verse 13. Then answered they and said before the king that Daniel, which is of the children of the captivity of Judah, regardeth not thee, O king, nor the decree that has that thou hast signed, but maketh his his petition three times a day. Then the king, when he heard these words, was sore displeased with himself, and set his heart on Daniel to deliver him, and he labored till the going down of the sun to deliver him. So he made this rule without even recognizing that it was going to hurt Daniel because these people came up with an idea to try and hurt Daniel. So when he recognized it, now he's like, oh, man. Verse 15, Then these men assembled unto uh, the king and said unto the king, Know, O king, that the law of the Medes and Persians is that no decree nor statute uh, which the king established may be changed. See, so these guys are slick. Mm -hmm. Then the king commanded, and they brought Daniel and cast him into the den of lions. Now the king spake unto, I mean, the king spake and said unto Daniel, Thy God, whom thou servest continually, he will deliver thee. And a stone was brought and laid upon the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it uh, with his own signet, and with the signet um, of his lords, that the purpose might not be changed concerning Daniel. Then the king went uh, to his palace and passed uh, the night fasting. Neither were instruments of uh, music brought before him, and his sleep uh, went from him. So this guy didn't sleep. He fasted for Daniel. All right. I mean, he didn't even want to be entertained. Then the king arose very early in the morning and went in haste unto the den of lions. When he um, came to the den, he cried with a, a lamentable voice unto Daniel. And the king spake and said to Daniel, O Daniel, servant of the, living, of the living God, is thy God, whom thou servest continually, able to deliver thee from the lions. Then said Daniel unto the king, O king, live forever, for God hath uh, sent his angel and hath shut the lions' mouths, uh, that they have not hurt me, for as much as before him innocency um, was found in me, and also before thee, O king, have I done no hurt. So, you know, the Lord delivered him. Now, I'm, I'm sure the Lord would have delivered Daniel, but... This guy fasted for Daniel, but then recognizing in, my, in his fasting to save someone he liked, he believed that Daniel's God was God. So what did this persecution do? Glorify the Lord. So a fast is powerful. You know, Daniel 10. And um, there was also a, a thing in uh, 1 Kings 21. We're not going there. But you guys can read it at the end. Ahab 
uh, did bad. You know, um, he went against the children of Israel when uh, he killed Naboth for his vineyard. And um, God found out about it. He told Elijah to go and pronounce sentence. Elijah went to Ahab and said, from this day on, this is going to happen to you, your family, this and that. And uh, Ahab was so scared because he was still Israel, even though he was doing dirt with Baal. But he ripped off his clothes, put on sackcloth, and fasted for three days. I mean, he was scared to death. So the Lord said, you see how um, Ahab humbled himself before me? Well, his judgment won't take place in his time. I'll wait until his kids grow up to pass judgment. So, you know, chastening yourself is also fasting. If you've done wrong, I'm not saying it's a type of works for deliverance, but humbling yourself before the Lord can get you, can keep the Lord from spanking your butt. Mm -hmm. Like, all right, you already know it's wrong. You're torturing self. Okay, so I'm going to, you know, I'll let you, I'm not going to say it, it's a, it's, you know, remission of sins, only the blood of Jesus is, but it's a good way to humble yourself before the Lord. Right. All right, Daniel 10 and 1. In the third year of Cyrus, king of Persia, a king was revealed unto Daniel, whose name was called Belteshazzar. That's Daniel's name in Babylonia. And the thing was true, uh, but the time appointed was long, and he understood the thing uh, and had understanding of the vision. In those days, I, Daniel, was mourning full, three full weeks, and I ate no pleasant uh, bread, Neither came flesh nor wine in my mouth. Neither did I anoint thyself or myself at all till three whole weeks were fulfilled. So he fasted 21 days. And in the fourth and twentieth day of the first month, as I was by the side of the great river of Hedekel, I guess, uh, then I lifted up my eyes and looked, and behold, a certain man clothed in linen, whose loins were girded with fine gold of Euphes. Um, his body was also like the barrel, and his face as the appearance of lightning, and his eyes as lamps of fire, and his arms um, and his feet like unto the color of polished brass, and the voice of his words like the voice of a multitude. And I, Daniel, alone saw the vision uh, for the men that were uh, with me, saw not the vision, but a great quaking fell upon them, so that they fled to hide themselves. Therefore I was left alone, and saw this great vision, and there remaineth no strength in me, for my comeliness was turned in me uh, into corruption, and I, was re and I retained no strength. This is part of what some of those people that said they experienced abductions felt, you know, like they couldn't move. Uh, limbs don't work in the spirit realm. Everything is telepathic. You know, I've heard people that have dealt with this. This is times when people even experience sleep paralysis. You can be laying there in your bed. You know you're asleep and you can't wake up. And we were always taught that there was a spirit being in that room, like a demon or something, trying to keep you from getting up. So it's like the spirit of the Lord may chase it off and it may run away and you wake up. But, uh, yeah, you know, I know people may think I'm crazy with saying that, but... In the spirit realm, your limbs don't work. Nope. That's I why. I was in a dream, mm -hmm. and, uh, and I was being attacked by Satan on both sides, mm -hmm. and um, and I felt paralyzed, and I couldn't move, and mm -hmm. I didn't know if I could use my voice, and I yelled out, help, 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 and Vinny came running through mm -hmm. the room, 
what is it? What is it? Help, help. <laughs> I said, I couldn't move. I didn't know. Yeah. Yeah, that's yeah, what she said to talk to you about it because you would know about that. Oh, yeah, it's funny. We're covering it, right? <laughs> yeah. So, But that's one of the things that happens is, um, you know, people experience this. So you know this can't be made up. You know, doctors will tell you one thing, like, you know, you wake up before your mind wakes up. I believe that something actually is holding you. Mm-hmm. You know, you know that you're I awake, but like you I cannot open your eyes. Uh-huh. I had something and similar I years ago. Mm-hmm. Every now and then that kind of thing tries to come, and I'm like, you know. And then it's almost like you've got to <laughs> relax to bust out of it. Mm-hmm. It's really weird. You can't just wake up. It's almost like you got to yeah, one. Know. There was this house that I used to live in, and mm-hmm. the people that were owning the house, it was a, a wife and a husband, and they were elderly. Mm-hmm. The, the wife had a condition with her lungs, like really, really bad, mm-hmm. and she had to be hooked up to a machine, breathing machine to help her uh, breathe. Wow. And the moment I started to rent out the place, because it had a, a third floor, and it had like, its own kitchen, its own bedroom, its own everything. Right. Um, when I started to rent out the place, the moment I set foot in this place, it felt like death. Like, wow. literally, the, that's what came in my mind. Like, it smells like death in here. Wow. And I felt very terrible. And then there was one morning, um, I was contacted by my sponsor, like, support group. Mm-hmm. And she was calling me. She goes, hey, would you like to have lunch? And I was like, oh, yeah, because I was, I was still asleep. It was right. the weekend. I was, I was studying. And I was like, I wanted to get a little bit more rest. Mm-hmm. Um, she called me. I woke up. And then the moment I started laying down, I started to get up a little bit. Something forced me. Like, mm-hmm. like I was like, what? I, I couldn't even speak. Mm-hmm. I couldn't say anything. Oh, but, yeah. But uh, the moment I started praying, I started praying to Christ. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden, I, I could move again. Right. And so it's like, like the spirit just chases this thing mm-hmm. on. I, I know it's, there's no, I, I know it's not, uh, I know it's real. I know it's true. That oh, it yeah. happens. Oh, um, yeah. Because afterwards, I heard, there was like these laughs, but they were laughs like really dark. Mm-hmm. Like so dark, it would like terrify anybody. Mm-hmm. But it was not just one laugh; it was like multiple right. laughs. So it was. Yeah, I believe it. You ever notice you try and run in your dream? Someone's chasing you. Both legs are dead. They hurt. It's like you're. Or it's like a never. You know, or you run. try and fight in a dream or something. Like no power yeah, in it whatsoever. Fight, like right. super fast. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Just real quick, so we can get on. But another good part. Another important part of praise and worship is for when these things happen, because if you if you listen to enough spiritual songs, or real spiritual songs that praise Christ, and if you study the Word, when when it happens over the course of time, it's like your mind will remember those verses, mm-hmm. or it will remember that song, and that will actually I've I've experienced it myself, and it actually broke the demonic prison, it, it broke it because it's like that song, that spiritual song came back or that psalm or whatever came Yeah, about back. a month ago, something tried to choke me. I was sleeping on the couch. Something tried to choke me to death. I could feel it like I couldn't breathe, I like I had hands too. on me. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, you know, trying to fight. And eventually it was like the Lord chased it off and I was able to wake up. But I, lit- I literally felt hands on me. And, you know, there are people that said the further you get along with this thing, you will see visions. Yeah. Why? Because... The veil is peeling back. Yep. You're getting closer to Christ. It's like, well, this is what's on the other exactly. side. Like a test to see if you go further. But anytime people encountered angels in the Bible, they always fall on their faces as one dead. It's like you have no life. Whatever it is that when they come, the spirit beings, it's like you just fall. Boof, you know, and it's like you um, got to be lifted up. 
All right, so he said he had no strength, verse 9. Yet heard I the voice of his words, and when I heard the voice of his words, then was I in a deep sleep on my face, and my face toward the ground. Now notice how sleep is related to this. Mm -hmm. Verse 10. And behold, an hand touched me, uh, which set me upon my knees, and upon the palms of my hands. And he said unto me, O Daniel, a man greatly beloved, Understand the words that I speak unto thee, and stand upright, for unto thee I am now sent. And when I had spoken this word unto me, I stood, and when he spoken this word unto me, I stood trembling. So this will tell you angels are not cute little cuddly diaper creatures. That they probably look like warriors. Mm -hmm. Every time people saw them, they were afraid. Verse 12. <clears throat> then, then, he said, uh, then said he unto me, Fear not, Daniel, for from the first day that thou didst set thine heart to understand and to chasten thyself before thy God, thy words were heard, and I am come for thy words. So it's clear that the angel knew Daniel's fast, and the Lord said, Hey, dispatch an angel out there. So the angel, you know, left to come see Daniel. Now, it doesn't take 21 days to get from heaven to earth, so you know something else played out. Verse 13, But the prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me one and twenty days. But lo, Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me, and I remained there with the kings of Persia. Uh, now I am come to make thee understand what shall befall thy people in the latter days, for yet the vision is for many days. So Daniel wanted to know how long they'd be in captivity. This is the angel answering. But as this angel came into this realm, that, that our estate, to come to Daniel, he was met by a prince of Persia who at the time had them in captivity. You know, so this angel met him halfway and they fought in the heavenlies for 21 days just to try and break through. So, you know, Derek Prince did say, and I think Vinny saw that video because he was um, commenting one day, but um, Derek Prince says, if you pray and you fast and nothing happens, it may not be because you're praying for the wrong thing. You can be praying for the right thing. And then you got to wait on the Lord to see what he does because there'll be a lot of opposition with you fasting for something that you need or that the Lord wants to answer. Mm -hmm. Not that the Lord can't beat the devil, but I'm just saying there'll be some resistance. Anytime that something is for you from God, you best believe the devil will resist it. Yeah. He will stop it at all costs. He'll send anyone, do anything, use your kids against you if need be. All right, verse 15. And when he had spoken such words unto me, I set my face toward the ground, and I became dumb. And behold, uh, one like the similitude of the Son of Men touched my lips. Uh, then I opened my mouth and spake and said unto him that stood before me, O my Lord, by the vision my sorrows are turned um, upon me, and I have retained no strength. So Michael helped this guy break through, you know, this angel to get to the Lord. But these are the key words here in verse 17 and on. For how can the servant uh, of this my Lord talk uh, with this my Lord? For as for me, straightway there remained no strength in me, neither is there breath left in me. Okay? Yeah, I have a tickle in my throat. Yeah. 
then there came again and touched me, one like the appearance of a man, and he strengthened me, and said, O, o man, greatly beloved, fear not, peace be unto thee, be strong, yea, be strong. And when he had spoken unto me, I was strengthened uh, and said, Let my Lord speak, for thou hast strengthened me. Then he said, uh, Knowest thou wherefore I come unto thee? And now will I return to fight with the prince of Persia. And when I am gone forth, lo, the prince of Grecia shall come. But I will shew thee that which is noted in the scripture of truth. And there is none that, with, that holdeth uh, with me in these things but Michael your prince. Now, some people try and equate this to Michael being Jesus. He's not. Michael does mean he that is like God, but Michael was the prince that was put over the children of Israel. Mm -hmm. Just how the prince of Persia has a prince, and just how the prince of Grecia has a prince, the, the United States has a fallen angel or so-called prince that sits over it. Okay? So, if the United States gets taken out, it'll be because another spiritual power, Satan said, all right, you know, you've completed your mission, you've built my new world order with your democracy, you believing in the American dream, funding my world machine. Now that I've got that, you're out of the way, and now I'm going to have a new world order. So, you know, I'm only saying that prayer itself is a powerful weapon. This just shows what goes on in the heavenlies when you are fasting and praying. When you fast for the Lord, the Lord does works in your life. You're not fasting for works. You're denying self to draw closer to your God. Mm -hmm. Okay, so this is where the weapons of our warfare become mighty through God, you know, because we are subduing the flesh and strengthening the spirit. So if anyone has anything to add, they can. If not, I mean, I just have so many scriptures. We can just, you know, close out. But um, fasting is a good way to subdue the flesh, okay, and strengthen your spirit. You're right. Along with prayer. So, you know, those are the weapons. Hopefully they've been helpful and not too nightmarish or frightening. But the point is, is that you've got to be built up in Christ to do the things of Christ. It's not just about believing. Yes, believing brings forth the faith. And that faith will lead you into good works because you're being led by the Spirit of God. God sent his disciples out there, but he did not leave them unequipped. He gave them what would be necessary for a spiritual warfare that we are in that the world tries to deny. This is a real war in the spirit that's being played out in the flesh. All right, so I guess that's that. If no one has anything to add, um, Sarah can pray out or anybody else who wants to. Anybody want to pray or you're good with Sarah? All right. Good. Heavenly Father, I want to come to you tonight, Lord, and I want to thank you for another day that you've given to us. Lord, I want to thank you for another opportunity that you've given each and every one of us to come, Lord, before you. Lord, to dive deep into your truths. Lord, to know what your word says. To know what you want for us, Lord, if we follow your will. Lord, I am thankful for everything that you've done for us, everything that you've blessed us with and bestowed upon us, Lord. For you have taken care of our every need and so much more. You've never left your want, us wanting or without. Lord, you have shown yourself to us so many times through you taking care of us, Lord. We should be thankful for the breath in our lungs. We should be thankful for everything that you've given to us, Lord, and help us to see and understand that, that it is by your hand. 
Lord, if we are still here today, it is because the enemy has not taken us out. Lord, you have a purpose for us. And I'm praying that we will come to you, that we will seek you, Lord, to know what that is. That we will not give up, that we will not give in, Lord, that we will not hearken unto the voice of the enemy. Lord, I'm praying today that you will come upon this ministry mightily. Lord, I pray that you would put an outpouring of your Holy Spirit so greatly upon us that we will burst at the seams. Lord, I'm praying today that whatever things are keeping us from having a relationship with you, whether they are false doctrines, Lord, whether, whether, whether it's false teaching or false prophets or family or people or things, whatever it is, Lord, that is blocking us from having that relationship with you, that is blocking us from hearing your voice, Lord, that is blocking us from whatever it is that you're calling us to do. I pray that today, Lord, that in the name of Jesus, for you, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, that we will give those things to you, Lord, so you can work in our lives. So we can have the gifts of faith in our lives, Lord, like your word says. But we have to believe, Lord. We have to have the faith. We have to be willing to go out, Lord, and walk on the water. Because your word says that we can do these things, but we have to be those willing vessels, Lord. To go into the promised land. Lord, we cannot place anything in front of you. For there is nothing greater than you, Lord. And I am praying today that you will help us to see and understand that. Lord, I am praying today that every one of us within this ministry will, will seek your calling upon our lives. To know what you have for us, Lord. That we will go forward in you, Lord. Filled with your Holy Spirit. That we will go out and preach and teach your gospel boldly. That we will shoot forth your power to the world with the time left that we have. Lord, but let us not have that spirit of fear, for you did not give us a spirit of fear. Lord, let us not fear trials and tribulations and persecutions, Lord. Let it count it as a badge of honor for doing your will, because you will take care of us, Lord. You have never left us nor forsaken us, and you never will. Lord, you have kept every promise that you have made forth towards us. So, Lord, let us break free of the carnal mind through prayer and fasting to live in the Spirit, Lord, because that is where you are. You are in the Spirit. Let us be your children, the children of light, Lord. Let us walk in that light. Let us not go back to sin. Lord, let us not go back to the things of the former life. Lord, I pray that we will cast off the old man through Christ Jesus, that we will put on the new man, Lord, that we will have you in our lives. Each and every one of us, we can go forward in Christ Jesus. We can do the things that you've called us to do in your will, Lord, in your power. So let us put that on today. Lord, I pray that you build this ministry up greatly. Lord, I pray that we will not become dead works because your word even talked about the church that had dead works, Lord. Let us be a good tree that bringeth forth good fruit. Because if we don't, Lord, we will be cast down and hewn down and cast into the fire, Lord. Let that not happen to us. Let your light shine for us to the world, Lord. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Lord, let us be that temple that you want to live in. Let us be cleaned out through your Holy Spirit, Lord, so you can live and dwell in us. That your word can flow through us to the world, Lord. I'm so thankful again for everything that you've done for us in this ministry. Help us to hunger and thirst after your word, Lord. Help us to hunger and thirst after righteousness, after holiness, to be set apart from this world system, Lord. Take off the blinders of religion. Take off the blinders of living in this world, Lord, so we can see you. 
Thank you, Lord. Thank you for all the things that you've done for us. Let us take on the full armor of God because that is our defense against the enemy, Lord. Fill us with your Holy Spirit. Lord, I pray that you would place your shield of protection around us. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.